For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And this country where we have quite an amount of issues that uh, need addressing, um, and I'll come back to that in a couple of seconds' time, but the alarming story of asylum seekers coming into the country goes from uh, bad to worse because uh, those that are coming in now um, have nowhere to stay, and that's why you've got the likes of Focus Ireland who are making the news saying that newly arrived asylum seekers uh, have been told that they have nowhere to stay and to prepare to sleep rough on the streets of Dublin. I don't know whether they are aware of that information before they come here and arrive uh, at our airports, but they've paused offers of accommodation now to all adult asylum seekers who seek protection here. Uh, those would be people under the international protection orders. I honestly don't think that, and I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think Ukrainian refugees are are in that category. I, I'm open to correction on that, but I do know the international protection uh, orders or people who come over here under that. Uh, that would be, so that could be single adults, as in single men, single women, and couples, men and women, things like that. But this would not include people arriving with children, incidentally. So it would be a pause of accommodation to all adult asylum seekers who seek protection here who arrive without children. So there's over 300 international protection applicants arriving into Ireland every single week. So that potentially could see hundreds of men and women rough sleeping in the coming weeks. Uh, I don't know. Um, we, we just seem to be driving on without the headlights on uh, or indeed a rudderless ship heading into a storm. I don't know. Meanwhile, of course, the chaos in the doll the bickering in the doll, the point scoring in the doll, where there appears to be absolutely no real work being done in a time of chaos and crisis in this country with so many things. And what do we hear of? Of course, we've heard of Pascal O'Donoghue and this expenses issue regarding his election campaign and posters and stuff like that. And while that is important enough, then we have Sinn Féin, of course, who've also been outed as not paying an election expense for the hiring of um, uh, a building as part of their general election campaign in 2016. So that's a um, a 2,000 euro bill that was never paid. It only was paid this week when it was brought to the attention. You can't help but think that everything's leaking like a sieve now. And again, point scoring, bickering, you know, um, it's insane really because the real issues then get completely and utterly ignored by people who are behaving like a bunch of children in the doll over things that really um, they should move on from and get back to work. And of course, uh, you know, Burke is trying to do just that, trying to get back to work. Um, the headline in The Sun this morning says, Burke keeps a knocking, as in e-knocking, but he can't get in. He was sacked last week, of course, from his job, but he keeps turning up at the school uh, and he was dropped off again uh, yesterday morning by his dad. He approaches the door of the school, or indeed, I don't know whether the gates are are locked by the time he gets there, whatever, but he can't get in there. So oh, that goes on. Um, he says, it's not trespassing, he says, to turn up at your place of work. And he will continue to turn up at school and probably has turned up again this morning. So that makes the papers as well. A story that we dealt with last week on air is updated in Cork Bio online this morning. And that, of course, is the North Cork puppy farm in Donorail, which had a closure order um, uh, attached to it last week. It's run 
It's a breed dog breeding facility, to give it its proper term, but it left an awful lot to be desired. It's run by Anne Broderick. Got a closure notice when uh, it was inspected by council vets uh, in, Jan- in December and again in January. Um, th- and then she was told that she needed to find homes at her own expense, either to give away every dog in there or to sell them to individuals or hand them over to animal rescue charities. Nothing was being done about that. And people in the area were telling me that the dogs were still there. They were still howling and barking. Well, now, apparently, a multi-agency operation has kicked in. So you're going to see local animal welfare charities, the ISPCA, and the council, Cork County Council, will go in now and have begun to remove the 218 dogs and puppies from the shutdown Kennels Puppy Farm in Donorail. And just to remind you again, the conditions they were found in were shocking. So now we have multi-agency going in to remove the dogs. Um, the original order was that she would have to find alternative uh, living accommodation for them and anything would be better than where they were because they were confined in undersized kennels in crowded conditions in sub-zero temperatures without bedding or heat Uh, many of the dogs didn't have any adequate drinking water they weren't groomed they were displaying abnormal behavior like repetitive behavior actions they were eating dog feces it was absolutely disgusting and shocking so now the agencies have to go in Uh, to sort it out. Will we ever sort out uh, traffic in the city? I see an artist's CGI impression of what Coburg Street will look like after all of the work is done but it's going to close now uh, to traffic so there'll be even more chaos in the city. Will it be worth it in the end? I suppose it will uh, because it certainly needs TLC and the artist's image of it looks terrific. Um, It's interesting because the artist's image has uh, people on bicycles, lots of bicycles and then big wide bus lanes and very, very, very wide footpaths. So in spite of all that, um, you know, it'll still be a nicer street because it looks uh, pretty appealing to me. But, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how the cars are going to get up and down there because the actual lane because these two huge bus lanes and right in the middle of it then a little vein for motor cars as the push against cars continues you know the listening posts that were done on Penrose Quay they were fabulous at the start and then they got vandalised and then they got broken and then they were just awful uh, and then they were just left sit there uh, they're going to whisper again so you'll be able to listen to the voices of the past on the on the listening posts they're, they're a fabulous idea there were recordings of interviews with hundreds of emigrants and their children and all that they left behind and the workers who worked down around Penrose Quay and Penrose Wharf when the emigrant ships left from Cork City from that place particularly in the 1800s now they cost big money to install over 100 grand they didn't last very long but at least they're going to refurb them and get them back in uh, working order again uh, nationally then there's other stories RT you makes quite an amount of the papers because they got a rat problem in their canteen apparently uh, and they have kept their main canteen closed after it became plagued with rats and mice and still within uh, RTE one of their presenters who actually walked out of a Tommy Tiernan gig recently because of the racist joke involving Dublin Zoo and uh, black taxi drivers she that's Eamon O'Neill and she says that her family and herself have been threatened very badly online um, subsequent kickback after she walked out of the gig and called Tommy Tiernan out um, and it led to free now, the taxi service cancelling the sponsorship of Tommy Tiernan's show. But she's since had an apology from Tommy Tiernan. She says, I've been threatened. My family have been threatened. 
My husband's received emails and messages. It's incredible the extent that people are going to um, because she has become the subject of serious racist comments and abuse and bullying uh, online. Uh, within our criminal justice system, it's interesting the amount of things that people can actually get in uh, to prisons because one particular prison alone has seized nearly 1,400 mobile phones in one calendar year. Um, and uh, it's interesting because how, how, do you, how do you get them in? Um, and also the amount of uh, hooch that's being brewed within prisons. Uh, it's an interesting story making the, the star today. And in, light, and in light-hearted news, although I'm not quite sure how light-hearted it is if you're living with it, um, there's a story that makes this morning's mirror that talks about the things uh, like parents have to do in the home that ultimately then goes on to cause rows or a little bit of uh, tension. One of it is going around turning off lights. And for some reason, they've managed to come up with a number. 333 is the number of times parents turn off lights across the year. 333, going in and out and turning off lights in empty rooms. But astonishingly, in spite of doing that, apparently, and and I do it, I turn off lights in rooms where people are, they just walk out and forget to turn them off. Apparently, all you're saving a year is €12.50. For all of that effort and all of that grief, going around the house constantly turning off lights, €12.50. Um, other bug bearers in the home include uh, switching off the television when no one's watching it. And that happens in all families. I mean, particularly, uh, not exclusively, but particularly with, with sons and daughters. I think they kind of think, I'm only going out for a second and then never go back. So you got the, the lights, you got the television. You can throw into that the immersion being left on um, or doors being left open. I mean, maybe that's an extreme, though. It's fair to say that heating systems work best when the doors are closed. But maybe it's a little over the top. And I'm, I'm even confessing that I close doors as well to try and make rooms stay warmer. Um, you know, candles is another thing. I know it's off topic, but candles frighten the life out of me, particularly in bedrooms. They really and truly do. And that's a bit of a bugbear with me. So anyway, only saving you €12.50 a year if you're going around turning off lights all year long. And then I love this story that makes the papers today with regards to giving advice to friends. Apparently there's a psychologist now has come out Cambridge University who says you need to mind your own business he says that it is immoral to give people advice even if it's meant in the best will in the world so don't give advice it's interfering you have an obligation to your friend or your relative or your loved one to mind your own business even if they are making huge big life-changing decisions that you think are wrong Um, you're violating their moral right by, by giving them advice. So, stay out of it if they're thinking of having children. Stay out of it if they're moving country, changing careers, getting married, getting divorced, whatever it may be. It has absolutely nothing to do with you. And a final one, which I find, a kind, find difficult to follow. I know this kicked off in America with the television host Tucker Carlson giving Eminem grief because Eminem, the little sweeties, were having a PC makeover which they have now paused, and they were updating the different suites. I, I never really studied M&Ms closely enough to know that each one of the suites and each one of the colours had a particular character, but they freaked out, apparently, when the green M&M was stripped of her sexy high heels and made to wear trainers instead. 
apparently that was a step too far. There were other proposed changes by Eminem, um, which included another female mascot apparently becoming lesbian, while the orange Eminem embraced an anxiety disorder, um, and the domineering red Eminem was changed to allow each character to shine as their own star. Um, apparently, they've paused that change now. Uh, many in America deeming it. It was just a step too far when it came to little sweeties. And finally, and I really mean finally for now, but I may well come back to this. The story of the last 24 hours for me has got to be um, the two mums who did this spontaneous act uh, last week. And they just uh, had this kind of a, a spare day with not much on. They had kids, but they decided to fly to Lanzarote for the day. And they had the time of their lives. So two mums have just recently shared how they spent £23 on a flight to Lanzarote for a day and had the time of their lives. And their spontaneous day adventure has just exploded on the social media, particularly in TikTok, where they've got over 2 million views of their photographs, their antics and their videos. One of them said, well, my weekend is on the up because I've just booked a £23 flight to Spain for the day to blow off the January blues. Me and my bestie, have we've left a packed lunch for the kids Monday and we've told them we'll be back at midnight. Now, when you're hearing this, somebody's going to be saying that's irresponsible parenting, leaving food in the house for the kids and not coming back to midnight. But they did it nonetheless. And they say, ladies, if you only think you have a day to spare, make it count and you can do it. We got up at 3.45 a.m. We had the best day ever in Lanzarote. We've been in the sea. We've had three sex on the beach cocktails. We've been to a Spanish Zara. Uh, what more do you need? Apparently they had, um, I don't know, they'd have a big blowout in McDonald's or KFC or something at the airport before they came back. But it got me thinking, has anybody else had kind of, you know, spontaneous acts like that and just done something you know, at a whim, just said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now. Something like that. Any kind of a story like that, where it was just spontaneity at work. Text 0868104106. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, I just, I just, I love that idea of just traveling for traveling's sake. I think, I, I think more people should do it. This is, you know, it, it's, sometimes it's as enjoyable to just get on a train for the sake of doing it than it is to yeah, have to feel yeah. like you have to go to do a destination. Do you ever do an act of uh, spontaneity? I remember once years and years ago in the 80s, myself and a buddy of mine, Pete, uh, I don't know, we might have had a few jars on board. We were inciting the bar and that we were inciting the Gay Future cocktail bar at the time. People from the 80s will remember that. Uh, and I don't know what time it was, maybe six or seven o'clock. And we decided that we would get a flight to Dublin because a, a buddy of ours, Henry, who used to be the MD of this company here, was doing a gig in the Pink Elephant at 11 o'clock. <laughs> and did you make the flight? We did. <laughs> and? Made the flight. How'd you get home? Uh, we, well, we couldn't come home at one <laughs> of the morning. We came home the next morning about yeah. 10 or 11 on the train. Or did we fly back? I can't remember. We got, I remember we got up there. Yeah. Um, and it was just one of those things that we did at the last moment. There was no online or anything like that. None. Yeah. So you couldn't book a ticket on a mobile phone. You literally had to go to the airport, go to the Aer Lingus desk, buy the ticket and get on the plane. Two half-cut lads turning half up cut. at the airport oh, yeah. asking oh, yeah. for Half-cut, absolutely. <laughs> and, and paid the serious price the next morning. But that's kind of an act of spontaneity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You nearly collapsed and we walked into the club. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know about that. Like, I've, I've had forced spontaneity in terms of like I was flying back from a match once and flight I missed the flight because the check-in wouldn't work on the phone and then when I arrived at the airport it was too late yada 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 so I kind of had a whole day where I had like basically got spat out the other end and they were like right tough book another flight because it was Ryanair 
difficult Ryanair. So I basically had a day. I was like, what am I going to do? So I was in Brussels and I there was a train station literally and I just went, covered my eyes. They're all like low, you know, Brussels are... Just it's not a very big place. It, I just literally covered my eyes and pointed my my finger, and I was lucky enough that it ended up in Bruges. So I was like, that's, right, that's off so, to Bruges that's I went. A, that's an act of spontaneity. Yeah. So I went off to Bruges for the day, came back to the airport, and flew home to Cork that morning. I love it. That Those night. kind of stories. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Let's see if we can get other ones like that. Text 0868104106. Calls on the way. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. I'm going to use lots of time this morning to catch up on uh, text and emails that have been coming in on different topics. One that we dealt with this week that uh, started with the Fair City storyline, um, the adoption storyline in Fair City, and then got us talking about adoptions even more. And it, we kind of moved into Magdalene's and uh, mother and baby homes. Eventually got a response from uh, RTE, or at least the producers of, uh, of Fair City. It's quite short, actually. It doesn't say a whole lot, apart from the fact that they have come back and said in response to your queries, um, we uh, at Fair City reflect all types of relationships. Our current adoption storyline is written from the point of view of a woman who decided to give up her child for adoption and has now come back into her life on foot of the death of her son. Uh, so we know we can, we know the storyline, so that's fine. And, and the way that she managed to get in touch with um, her adopted son was by um, you know, taking her dead son's phone and contacting Uh, the other son. Uh, Anyway, back to the statement. It says, we have every sympathy for the individuals affected by the mother and baby home scandal. Our story reflects a different type of adoption experience, all of them unique. So it's short and uh, to the point. Um, And anyway, at least we got some kind of response. Uh, Your program was steeped in sadness, particularly Maureen's story was just horrible. I'm going to get her book when it comes out. I think it's coming out in April. Uh, No way was she going to part with her small little baby. Uh, To imagine her in London in a dire situation was so hard for her. That was uh, Maureen, who was in London, 18, with a baby and living in the parks of London with the baby in um, a little baby pram. Um, she must be so, She must have been so strong. My mother had a child out of wedlock and my half-brother was just taken from her in her family home. Uh, I've spoken to you on that in the past. I've travelled a lot uh, uh, and walked tall about being Irish, but there is so much of that I'm ashamed of. Uh, so many people want to be Irish or want to have an Irish connection, but they really have no idea how dark our history was. Society is not totally to blame. The church and state are to blame too, big time. My late father was put in an industrial school just because his mother, my grandmother, wasn't married. I will never forget the ch- I will never forgive the church or state for what they have done to the people of Ireland. I'm also very aware of the family shame factor too. Uh, top radio program, Neil, keep it up, says Con by email uh, to Neil at uh, redfm.ie. To the phone lines we go. Tracy, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, for, thank you for holding. You wanted to pick up on some of the conversations that you heard on air yesterday morning from very strong, brave women, right? Yeah, I mean, I would actually know uh, Catherine Coffey, Anna Gorman and uh, Maureen. And I think the lady, I don't actually know the lady Alice, I think Alice Young, who was on. Alice um, started it all off, in fairness to her. She was the girl who was critical of the uh, storyline in Fair City. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because we all moved in the same kind of um, circle, you know, because what happens is when you are involved in this, you get to meet... Um, direct survivors. I mean, as an, a person who has a family member that was adopted, and obviously then as we trace back, we found that there's two more generations that were in institutes. 
you 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 at first you have an opinion that you you've been left you know you, you weren't wanted but then you you get to learn the other side of the story you learn about how you know the, the choices and the situations that the mothers were placed in and you also get an understanding of how um children you know were placed into institutions and then later, you know, they, some of them were actually became pregnant within the institution. And also, obviously, in circumstances where they were outside, they, they went into, back into normal, into the, back into the community and then came back. But then they had had no, if you think about it, they had no, they had no family structure. You know, they hadn't been brought up in a family structure. And they return back to the institute because that's all they knew. Okay, well, we're talking about two different. There, there are two different specific types here of historical yeah. stories. One would be mother and baby homes, like say, for instance, Besborough, and running in yeah. tandem and alongside them, you had convents that were institutionalized, where young girls who didn't need to weren't necessarily pregnant, right? Um, who would yeah, have been in the convents, living within saying. the convent structure, yeah. working within there, and things like the laundries. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a misinterpretation because they were actually, um, you know, they were they were institutions. It's like when they say, you know, the children were placed in an orphanage. They weren't placed in orphanages. They, these were industrial, these were industrial institutions where they were placed. I mean, and they weren't getting education at all. I mean, some girls who were taken, you know, they, they're told, their parents were told, oh, they're going to get educated and, you know, they'll come out with a skill. I mean, most of those were being used as, you know, unpaid labour. Yeah. They, they were only domestic chores or, you know, I mean, such as the boys. I mean, a lot of people, we talk about the women, but we don't talk about the, the process that the, the, the boys... Well, that involved industrial schools. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now that would have been areas like Upton and other industrial schools. Not there was a, there was well, more yeah, there was more than one around. Um, it, it, and, and your own family situation. What can you talk about there? Well, you see, my 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 actual husband um, was adopted, and um, when he did very he didn't he knew he always knew he was adopted. You know, his, his parents were very very honest about it. You know, it wasn't kind of a hidden secret. Um, and there was actually, within his family, the three children were all adopted from separate families. But, they, you know, they were a family unit as such. Okay, yeah. And we had our, probably when we had our first child together, it kind of triggered him to think, you know, I'd like to find out about my background. So he went away and started looking. And, I mean, he's now, he's, he'll be 60, 63 this year. And we only actually um, were successful in tracing his mother um, about two years ago. And that's how long it took us through the process. And we didn't really get um, an awful lot of help from the agencies, the adoption agencies, and from Tussler itself. It was very much... Um, you know, you cannot have this information. There's nothing we can do. So we basically had to be extremely pedantic and continually keep at it, at it, at it. And basically, I, I, my husband at some point said, oh, look, you know, enough is enough. I, I, you know, this isn't going to be found. But All right, I the, the phone line isn't great, Tracy. You're going to need to move around. It's muffled for me, so I wanted to see if I can improve it. I just want to... Um, I can hear me now. Let's let's see how that goes. If it doesn't improve, I'm going to have to read out your text instead. Yeah, but you, but, but, he, but did he ultimately then get his information? Ring on the ring on the landline because maybe it's the mobile phone is not very. Did he did he ultimately get his information? 
No, as in that, in, in the way that we got the information, we got it ourselves and, and we got it surreptitiously in the sense that we, we were able to get some information from the UK because he was in a mother and baby home in the UK and then he was subsequently brought over to, to court yeah. to be adopted. Um, so we got some of the information from the Children's Catholic Society only because, under the ruling, because he was born in the UK, he was entitled to have access to documents. And we were able to get the original documents. Because when you go to, uh, when, you, when he first started looking, it was under the Southern House Board at that time. And you would only get like an A4 printed sheet. And it would just basically give you, you know, a little brief synopsis of, you know, your, your mother's name, but only her first name, not a surname or any identifying information. And just a brief little synopsis. You're of, entitled to it so all that. now, except for the father's name, which uh, a lot of the time well, wasn't we, on. We would have, we, yeah, you, we, you would have sir. the father's name. He would have been, it would have told him um, what his father's, uh, who his, his father's, some brief details about his father. Um, and it would have given a, a little bit of information, but it wouldn't have given the surname. It would have given the first well, name. wouldn't it be the case that a lot of the time the father's names wouldn't have been on a birth cert? Now, because, yeah, even in the UK or Ireland, because you're not married, which is obviously that has changed an awful lot now, um, the, the father's name would not have been placed on the birth cert. But... On the actual, when you go through the process, when the, the woman went into the process of actually going, that she was going to put a child up for adoption, they filled in a form and it was called the application for adoption. And they would ask questions about the father and also about her family background. So details like that would be jotted down on the original documents. But you see, what will happen is, even though people now are saying, we're giving you access, you're only going to be given copies of. You're not going to get the release of those original documents. Okay. Why? And why was it? A, yeah, why was it a case that babies born in the UK would have been what sent by boat with some kind of? Yeah, but, but um, in Brian's mum's case, I mean, I even, actually even have the ticket. That's how deep um, I actually got, did the research, and really the ticket that brought him as a baby. Yeah, the ticket that was, she was issued to travel from Pannington Station, the time and the platform, and to go on a journey. And she travelled to Fishguard, and then she travelled from Fishguard up to, uh, it would have been up to Besborough, but there was actually, it was called the lock was the building in which... So his mother came from the UK on a boat. No, she was Irish. She, yeah, was Irish. she came and home and to the UK. I came back from the UK to Cork mm. to go to Besborough to have... Your husband, no, have you, she, had have baby, she had the baby in the UK. And she brought because the, uh, the, it was the, the home was run by the Rescued of Crusade, which is part of the Sacred Hearts, Sisters of Mercy, they're all on the one. And the St. Anne's Adoption Society yeah, handled yeah. the adoption. So we would have had, like, if you look at Brian's documents, Father Good, Father uh, Harvey, those names would be on the documents. And you'd also have, many people would have a common social worker, okay. and she was called Winifred something. So a lot of the documents, um, you know, they give okay. the addresses, and there'll be, there'll be notes there, you know, like I got hold of her antenatal records, so it shows, you know, what her, her, as the way she was growing, and some of the notes. 
Um, you know, there was no spare. Uh, I got a vaccination. So she details, came back because like she, she was from Cork, was she? She was originally, interestingly enough, she was fostered out from a family um, and she grew up in the town of Mallow. And I got an offer, I have to say very thanks to a lot of the community there um, in Mallow who gave me a lot of information. I basically got on the ground and I started making phone calls and I actually made contact with the foster family um, in Mallow. The, 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 the son of, of one of the children that was with her. Um, and where I had got sidetracked, they had given, I found out what her, her name was because I got the original documents. But she had said that her parents' names were the same as hers, but they weren't her parents, they were her foster, foster parents. parents. And so do you know why she was fostered place. as a young child? Yes, she was born in, in the um, hospital there in Mallow. Her mother was also an unmarried mother, and she was then fostered out. And what happened in Mallow, where the hospital was, there was actually cottages behind the hospital, and um, children were fostered out and placed with families in the community. I mean, it was very common, um, you know, in the 19, 1930s. A lot of children were placed out into communities. I mean, in areas of Cork, and I know also from my own husband, um, from the area he's from, there were a lot of families that took adopted children. Okay, so your yeah. husband's mother herself was a foster child who got yeah. pregnant young. Um, um, well, she wasn't actually that young. Uh, she was actually in her 20s. Left, 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 left to go to the UK then. No, she was actually working in the UK. Yeah, and got pregnant, pregnant. was on her own, uh, had the baby, came back, went to Besborough. They they didn't have a choice in the sense that the mother, what would happen is the mothers would never travel on their own. They usually came in a group of, they usually came in twos or fives and they were being brought back to Cork. They came in groups. They were never allowed to travel because, you know, if they gave uh, uh, someone a ticket, they could disappear. So they always. So they were chaperoned, were they? They were chaperoned in the yeah, sense, yeah. you know, that if you if you didn't, okay. if you've disappeared, they could then say to the other one, "Well, you know, it's your fault. What's what? Where's the other one gone?" Do you know that kind of way? And so there was always control mechanisms in place to keep to make sure that the girls, you know, complied and behaved. Because if you did something wrong, then the other person could be punished. And did he manage to find her in later life? Yeah, we did. We actually, by sheer fluke, um, I, I, I traced the. I traced her. Um, I won't go too because it'll be too, too long-winded story. But I did make contact with her through. I actually made contact with an older, uh, with what, what would be his younger sister. And, but what was and that was contact very, like? It was very surreal because it was during COVID, and um, I actually found her through uh, on an on through a page that a photo went up. And the photo was of primary school children in Mallow, and that was, and his mother was in the picture because I spotted the name. And did you contact so did, her? Did your husband contact I did. her? I just sent her a message saying, first of all, you know, I put up a, a, just a message because she put up, "Oh, that's my mother." So I contacted her and said, "Oh, look, you know, I, I do you know, could I speak to? Could I private message you?" And she was like, "Of course you can." And I think at first she thought I was doing like you know um, a family tree tracing a long distance family that sort of way you know people you know how i might be a distant cousin 
from America or something like that. So she was kind of, oh, interested. And when I, I, I had to, I kind of was like, well, how do I start the conversation? How do I say to her, look, we're related. Um, so I was kind of really... And, and You're my mother-in-law. Me yeah. face to face. So, yeah. no way. so I, I eventually then said, so she was kind of, um, well, you know, can you obviously shocked, but I knew too much for her to, to deny that it wasn't us. So, of course, she wanted kind of proof that it was us, and I had a had signature because I had letters there from his mother, and I had her signature. So I didn't send her actually what I had. I just sent her a copy of the signature, and I also told her things, and she knew by what I was saying. And how did she react? They, they were actually very enthusiastic. There was photos going back and forth, and there was messages going back and forth, and, of course, they wanted very much to speak to Brian and unfortunately he was in um, he was in the, he was abroad so there was a time difference so they had to wait and obviously she said look we'd obviously have to get in contact they couldn't get in contact directly with mom they'd want to tell her face to face and they thought the best way was to go to see her and take photos and then say oh mom look there's been contact made um, by someone and tell her the name and then you know open the conversation like that yeah. but of course COVID made it very difficult right so what did you when do they well, when eventually they did go to, um, they said that they, they eventually got the opportunity. Um, it was the, it was like as if the reaction was really. Um, she just said, oh, "I thought I'd take that to the grave." Was she was she happy to meet him? Was she relieved to meet him? No, she, she, no. The message came. With, like, we were kind of having conversation, and the message was. This is how I thought was really. It was probably very faultless, I thought, of the way it was done. Um, the older sister contacted my husband, not by a phone call, it was actually by a text, to tell him that um, the mother had no interest in meeting him. How do you feel about that? I was upset for him, and I think for him, he was initially, you know, yeah, you know, how do you react? You've, you've gone to all that... You're, 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 you're in your 60s, you know, you, you've, you've spent probably 40, 46 years of your life searching. Um, and you, and now he didn't, like he said, he, he only wanted her to know, he, you know, he sent the message, he'd had a good life, he was very happy, and he very much appreciated, you know, what she had done, that she had given him that opportunity, and that he hadn't been placed into an institution. Because I, I know, but uh, just from the point of view of time, uh, he, did you not feel rejected? I mean, a lot of people listen to this and oh, there, yeah, there could be I, all I, sorts I, of I, reasons I, why somebody would say, I, I, I don't want to what? meet you, but many people would feel that's cruel. It is, it is, but I suppose, may, I, I suppose he, we kind of, he was hurt and it was very hard because he was at distance and I was here and he was there, you know, and I couldn't kind of put my arms around him and say, look, you know, this is really hard. Now, what was interesting, they sent this message, but then the sister came back to me and asked me if I had any information, could I provide her with any more information on the grandmother and the background? And she had said to me, or oh, maybe in time, mum will, you know, be prepared. So I sent, I sound really awful, I sent back a message, or well, maybe in time your mother will talk about it. But it never happened. I was happened. so kind of angry that she would want me to provide information about her grandparents, but didn't, they didn't want to have contact with the actual child. I know, I know, I know. How long ago so was I, this, uh, without pinning it down too accurately? Was it in the recent past or the distant past? 
Oh no, this is like in the this. What what do you mean that it's happened? Or? Yeah, when I mean, actually, I, I'm not even sure that I want to know of a date because I don't want to be able to identify any of the people involved. But oh we, no, are, are, yeah, are, this is, is like where this was in like the, this is in the last. You know, this is is present the present day yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. you know, we, I mean, I still we the only contact really that I, we would have with the two the two sisters, there's a brother and two sisters, is that, um, you know, it's Facebook, really. There's been no... Um, and is your husband hopeful that his mother, who gave birth to him, I know he had a happy life and would deem his family structure to be different to that, but that she will change her mind at some stage? I think he's, he's, he's kind of got... He's, he's accepted and he respects her decision. That's what he... You know, I, I think... And I think that's part of protecting himself. He's kind of said, look... Um, you know, I, I, I have made the initials um, contact. I would have loved to have, you know, met her and spoken to her. I, you know, it would have been nice to, to have been part of something, maybe, you know, to get to know the, the family that yeah. I didn't yeah. ever know. But at the same time, he said, I have to respect a decision. And he said, maybe, you know, there's reasons why. You know, correct. It's just that yesterday we had Liam's that. story, just finally, let's do with Liam's story, a very similar, where he did an awful yeah. lot of work and effort and managed to locate his mother, his birth mother, and she, for want of a better term, rejected his advances in the sense that she didn't want to meet him. And this morning, here's another son who had a similar um, result, having put in years of effort. It's sad. Yeah, but I suppose, look, I, I try to see, like, I, I suppose, you know, you get, to an, you get to a point in life, I mean, it is sad, and it is, you know, and we would be, we'd be, you know, disingenuous to say it's not hurting the, the person in effect. But I think as well, you know, because, you know, they, they, uh, um, um, it's, and maybe it's the thing of, you know, when a mother has, she's given away a baby or the baby's taken, I mean, some of those girls, those babies were taken away from them very quickly. They didn't even get the time to bond, you know, they didn't even get the six to 10 weeks to look after the child. That luxury was not even given to them. So, that must have been awful traumatic, especially where there was cases where women, you know, the baby was taken and it was registered completely into a different name. You know, there's never the registration of that. that oh, I know, but like he, he, he said yesterday that for all of the babies, none of them gave up their mothers or their fathers. It was they gave no. them up. And I thought that was very powerful, yeah. you know. But I mean, you see, that's the thing. People say they gave up. Uh, you know that now. It, I always remember speaking to um, you know. You, you're you're just. If, if it's, I know they don't. Maybe they don't think about it. But when you speak to, like, if you speak to a, um, I remember speaking to a father good, and I remember you know you hearing the social workers, and they say manage manage your expectations, and it's not all rose tinted spectacles and rose gardens. You know, there's there's complications. There's stories behind your own story yeah. and circumstances. Right. And, you know, cause, because as well, you know, children, you know, when you watch long enough families, people get an image, don't they? It's all happy ever after or, you're, you're, you know, you will find. I mean, some people, they do find and unfortunately the, the, the mother has, has deceased or they may get contact with the mother and find the father has died or they'll, they'll get contact with the father. You yeah. know, there's all so many different um, strands in the yeah. And okay. yes, I just think it has been, I think, right. because we weren't open about adoption, we kept it so secret and because women 
you know, were made to feel that this was such an awful thing they'd done. It was like, like they were made, they were treated as criminals, really. They mm. were outcasts. Mm. They, well, they certainly were second class, yeah. 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 Thanks for that. A very, very interesting story. Do appreciate it. Thanks for sharing. I hope that in the future that there's some change or resolution. Who knows? I think you have to say, look, you know, he has, he, we're, he, we're very fortunate. We have three healthy children. You know, he's very fortunate. He's worked very hard and, you know, he's achieved. And unfortunately, he lost his, um, you know, his mother over Christmas. The, 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 you know, the, the, and he calls, he's, she's ma'am. She's ma'am, of course she and is. Okay. Mom yeah. And, the, you know, the, the lady that, you know, she brought him into the world, she was his mother. You know, so he does recognise them both, but in, in, in different ways. Okay, thanks, Tracy. Take care of yourself. No. Text 0868 Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Carl's online too. Carl, good morning. Good morning. How are things? You I'm are? well, thank you. You also tried to track down your birth mother having been... Were you born in, in Besborough? Yeah, so um, I was born in 1983 on the 15th of June. And um, I was born into Besborough. So my mother actually gave birth to me in Besborough. And I was in Besborough for over six months then as a, as a newborn. And then I was adopted then by my now mum and dad. So... Um, yeah, so but the process has been kind of um, it's been it's been a journey, Neil. I put it that way. Yeah, I'm yeah. nearly forty years of age, and uh, you know, like you, you listen to a lot of people. You know, everyone has different aspects and different uh, ways of looking at adoption. To the family, it's the most amazing thing in the world. It's like to get a, a, a newborn baby to have the wish of having a child if they're not able to have their own children, and it's also giving the child an opportunity to have a, to have a better life. But from the adoptee's point of view, from the baby's point of view, it's, it's, it's that feeling of, I suppose, growing up and when you're told that you're adopted, it's that whole kind of feeling of you know, guilt and shame, grief, having issues with identity. And like I always say, like the mastery control, it's like, you know, growing up, like you, you don't like being told what to do because you feel like, you know, because you don't understand, you know, you don't understand your own feelings. Being an adult can be very difficult. So you you were confused, were you, about everything? Yeah, it's just, you know, like, uh, Joe, the hardest thing was, was when I actually, so I went through Tusla, and to be fair to Tusla, they were fantastic, and they did they did all the best. So I remember years ago, uh, my girlfriend at the time drove me up to Besborough, and I got a little little um, photocopy, and it said all my information on a little, uh, little cutout. So it told me about my, my man. My dad, he's a parent, so my dad was like six or four, blonde, blue eyes, the whole shebang, and which is me. And then my mother then was like, she was very quiet, very anxious. And Why did they have that information? Was that actually written down, all of that? Yeah, so it was actually my file, but then on, it said on the very top corner then, Neil, not to be contacted, which meant that uh, on, when I'm born, they give you a choice that when the child becomes aware and is obviously making his own decisions that... You're, if you want contact or not. Yeah. Obviously on my file then they said that she didn't want any contact. But they actually so wrote I down yeah. a description of your dad, your birth dad. Yeah, yeah. And they wrote and, down, uh, um, they observed how your mother was feeling and they wrote that down. Yeah, yeah. So they were all little, um, little things and I'll explain why, Neil, that kind of makes sense. But just going back to the whole, Joe, the, like I was listening to that woman there, you know, about her partner and his journey as well. Um, both, so I've been 
So I, I went up to Dublin with my mother. My mother now, like it, and she's my man, not my board mother. And of course. we went to Dublin, yeah. and we went to the board sorts place in Dublin, and we brought little rulers up with us so we could look through the, the massive amounts of names because we had my my mum's name. And this lovely man came over and he said, give me your date of birth, give me your mother's name. And he came over and he got the information. I brought that back to Tusla. They tracked her down, right? So they made contact with her. She didn't want anything to do with me. Actually, she actually was very defensive saying that she doesn't, she does, she had no child. And she was very defensive, right? That's fair enough. The second but it was, but it was, okay. I won't interrupt you. It was oh, her, it was, it was my mother, Neil. Yeah, yeah okay. 100%. Yeah, it was the correct woman. The second time she was contacted, she said that if she, if she gets contacted again, she would go further about it. And the third time was last year. I was coming back from work. I just came off a long week of shifts. Uh, I work in healthcare myself. And I, I was coming off nights, and I got a phone call at 10 o'clock from an unknown number. And I was just coming up, because I'm from Mallow myself, so I was coming up to see my, my mum and dad. Um, and they said, are you driving, Colin? I said, I am. I said, do you mind pulling over? I said, I will. So the long story short was, I wanted to try my mother for the third time. She pretty much said, Neil, that um, she was asking all questions about me and describing what I was like as a person and what I worked as and, you know, the, the usual stuff and does he have mental health? And the lady who was an advocate for me was asking, like, do you mind me asking why you asked does he have mental health? Because she said that she suffers from mental health herself. All right, I'll get on to that in a second. So that was fair enough, right? And she said, look, I, I wish Cahal all the best and, you know, by the sounds of he sounds like a nice guy and all that. And... Then my advocate asked about my sister, Rachel, who I was looking for the last 14 years. And I think, Daniel, this is the hardest part about this whole journey. So I had a sister that was my, 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 my natural sister that she kept and after me. And I was looking for her for 14 years, trying to get answers to who I am. And she told me that she passed away in a car accident uh, when she was only a baby. And... It was crushing because I was just in the car. I broke down, and I broke down because I've always struggled with identity. Like, I know who I am physically, but I just, I felt when my man didn't want any contact with me that my dad didn't even know I exist. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, yeah, And yeah, even yeah. though it has characteristics, um, he didn't actually know. I, I don't know, there, there was something about it. He didn't know if I was kept or not, or, and then to find out Rachel wasn't even on this planet. I felt then that, like, I suffer a lot with mental health anyway, and I'm very open about that. I used to hide it a lot. I used to always be a people pleaser, and I used to try too hard to fit in, and I worked in CUH, and I had to leave that because it was, like, it was my dream job. I worked as a healthcare assistant and a stroke warden. Like, I tried way too hard trying to fit in and tried to be the best, and, you know, I think I kind of, I tried too hard, and I suppose that was the, the issue about being adopted, is that you want to fit in, you want to be liked, you want to be loved, you want to be a part of something. I'm you know? not finished with my conversation and with you. I hope you can hold on just yeah. after 10 to finish it properly. Course, Neil, Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Cahal. Back after 10. Interesting, interesting. Text 0868-8104-106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. 
Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And some texts to 086-8104-106. With regards to asylum seekers and people under international protection orders showing up, they are doing so because Roderick O'Gorman told the world that they would have their own house after four months. 90% are fraudulent and should be deported. Uh, You go on about immigrants sleeping on the streets and a lot of them are not from Ukraine. God only knows where they're from. Uh, What about our people that are on the streets? We need to wise up and say no more, no matter how harsh that might sound. Interesting texts on that. Um, You're asking where they might be coming from. A lot of different countries, incidentally. Georgia, uh, Algeria, Syria, certainly from from Ukraine for Ukrainian war reasons and other countries like um, the ones I've mentioned. Um, Actually, this is lovely because, you know, the acts of spontaneity I was asking you about. This is uh, two women, two besties in the UK who had a spare day, wanted to shake off the January blues, so they booked £23 return flights day, in and out on the same day, with Ryanair, to the Canaries, and had a fabulous day and came back that night. So I was asking people about their own acts of spontaneity. We did it at Christmas. My husband and kids flew to London on the early flight and spent the day in Winter Wonderland and got the last flight home. They had an epic day. Yeah, but I wonder when did they book it? Did they book it at the very last minute? I'm not talking about something that you planned way in advance, but if, you know, that's still a great trip. It'd be great if they booked it the night before and went the next morning. Did it in last December with my small fella, off to London for a night. We did London Bridge and Wonderland and walkabouts. It was brilliant and cheaper than a night out in Ireland. Uh, Frank says it would make sense to get a return flight to the UK just to get duty-free fags. Yeah, duty-free is back now between Ireland and the UK because they're outside the EU. I finished work at 4pm one day, arrived home to my husband rushing me to get ready as he had bought tickets to one of my favourite bands who were playing in Dublin. She doesn't say what band. So we hit the road and made it in the door just as they got on stage. Not bad for a Wednesday night. And home after it, says Ashley in Bandon. That's the spontaneous acts I'm talking about. Flew to Liverpool Sunday morning at 8am, back Monday evening. Flights for two and four-star hotel, 140 euro. Cheaper than a night out in Killarney. And that included flights and indeed uh, overnight accommodation in a four-star hotel. I was down the Welcome Inn one morning after collecting 1,200 euro from the bookies next door. I said I'd go across the road and just jump on the first bus and see where I ended up. I ended up in Waterford and lost my wallet that night. (laughs) It was a long drive back on the bus the following day, I can tell you. That's brilliant. The welcome in one morning after collecting 1200 from the bookies and losing it in Waterford. Uh, it's quite common in the UK with cheap flights to Europe. Someone I know went to Pulpit Rock in Norway for two nights from London. Geneva for one night. Um, Belgium cycling for two days. Uh, Rotterdam overnight just for food. The best one yet was Oman for three nights. Last minute, including transfers to the Hotel Anatara way up in the mountains. All in all, I think it all cost €700 a few years ago. Very last minute. So when you add up all of those trips, Oman, Rotterdam, Belgium, London to Norway, 
in Geneva as well, £700. So keep those acts of spontaneity coming. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. We get it, it's right. I sometimes wonder if people actually do get it. I was telling you a story about uh, some psychologist in Cambridge who was saying you shouldn't give advice. It's uh, moral and it's none of your business. You have an obligation to mind your own business. Uh, don't be interfering regardless of what people plan on doing. Um, I was giving that an example of how crazy the world is but a texter says about not interfering in other people's decisions what if someone is going to take their own life we need to be able to help people in distress if I was having a cardiac arrest I'd hope someone would interfere to help me stupid comments by Neil no you're you're accrediting you're accrediting the comments as being something that I feel which is quite the opposite actually but sorry I have to clarify that but sometimes you need to just put people on the straight and narrow anyway Cahill my apologies good morning again you, sorry, you, Neil. you, you said that an advocate was talking to your your mother by birth and your mother by yeah. birth was asking questions of your advocate about you including your mental yeah. health as in was she yeah. when you say that she suffered with mental health was she was it depression yes the thing is Neil she didn't exactly um, she didn't actually kind of get in too much because I suppose the less you're kind of, it's the more you're impersonal with, the more you're kind of, you know, I think the, the, the least you say, the, the more distance. But why was she asking words. questions at all then, I wonder? Because I suppose, you know, I suppose, is, did she feel guilt? Did she want to know that I was okay? Maybe that was her way of reaching out. I'm not sure, Neil. Again, I didn't have, this, all these conversations have been all over the phone. There's been nothing face to face with me, which is it's it's even more difficult. Even but did you ever speak again. to her on the phone? Even never spoke to her. Never had any contact over letters, because look at the end of the day, Neil. Right? The like, thing is, like when I grew up, I remember when I was told I was adopted, I, I ran away out to Longville House out to Dearborn Sullivan's place because I was so confused. I was like, Dearborn are not my parents, and uh, yeah. I was just so confused. Like I suppose. What age were like, you? Oh Jesus, I don't know. Like I was, I was always told I was adopted because my mum. I'm going to say, look, it's only I'm going to say, like, my bachelor mother, my port mother, and my mum, right? So, my mum always got me to, to write out my name as Cahal that I'm adopted. So, I always knew I was adopted. So it, was, it was never hidden. But when I got a little bit older, when I was told, I was just so confused. And um, I was like, there's no tooth fairy, and you're not my family. It's like, what? <laughs> what are these lies? But I was, I was just, it was just. But it, looking it, back at it now, do you think it should have been yeah. handled any differently? No, definitely not. Okay. No, no. My, my poor parents, I'll tell you one thing, Neil. Like any typical Irish family, we had our ups and downs, but you know something, I love them to bits. And I'd probably get emotional, but my mum is 76 and my dad is 80. My dad has had numerous strokes. And I'll tell you one thing, they're the, the best family. Um, I couldn't have asked for better. No, the thing is, they see that I've struggled with my mental health. Um, I've tried to take my life twice, uh, recently enough. Uh, and thanks very much for the guards and Mallow to to help out like but people think because someone has depression anxiety and if you're adopted it's not anxiety and depression it's it's it's, it's a lot deeper than that Neil the thing is I see all my friends like I mean I had the best of friends growing up and they're all married with kids now and I'm not I'm I know I know do you, and do you think is, do you think that yeah. what you how you're suffering now is you know it's 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 awful to hear of that suffering yeah. that it's 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 the same as your mother suffers or suffered I I I don't know. See, it'd be it'd be right or wrong of me to say it because I don't know her, so I can't really comment on someone that I don't know. But I she did ask. Assuming. She did ask, didn't she? she what did. was your mental she health did, yeah. like? It's extraordinary. She did, so I, you can only assume. But like you know, as I said, like if there's anything I could say, like about my friends, as like or any girlfriends I had in the past, like I'm a lovely guy, Neil. Like anyone who knows me, I'm the most 
coin tearing and like I was going back there I, I got my dream job in COH I bought a Jeep because my philosophy when I was growing up was that and even though I'm nearly 40 is that if I don't if I don't work hard enough I'd be given back really <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. Okay. When, I, when I resigned from COH because I did try too hard I mean anyone who knows me in COH would know that I was most like I'm a hard walking carer very empathic humanistic and just very kind but I tried way too hard and I brought myself out and I probably took, I was trying to play, I was trying to be too good too soon. And yeah, I was yeah. going through a lot of stuff in England because I did a lot of agency work with CUH and I loved it. I loved working with CUH. So when I, when they, when my, when I was offered the job there, I got, I remember I got sixth on the panel and I rang mom and I goes, ma'am, you know, because they're getting older and when they die, I want them to know that I'm safe. So when I got my dream job and it was a dream, I don't know what you're saying, some people are like, there's only healthcare system, yeah, but it wasn't. When I got my job and I got my, my Jeep, I just wanted to see them that, like, ma'am, like, I'm doing my best. So you've been, so you've spent your life trying to prove something um, that yeah, you're no different to anybody else because you were adopted. Yeah. You're, you're over competing to compensate for all of that. Neil, if I tell you, my mother uh, nicknamed me All or Nothing. <laughs> I need, <laughs> I need her like it's all or nothing. And like even with my mood and and all that, you're up or down. And or you put all like, that down to your start in life. I think, well, sitting is it's not the adoption side of it. I think the, the adoption side of it, Neil, would have been like relationships. Um, I pushed people away. I pushed many people. I pushed my friends away because I felt like, what's the point of investing in these people when they get married? They're just going to reject me anyway and abandon me. So then why put in the effort? I don't know if I meet a girl, like I've tried Tender and Bumble and I say, girl, you think I'm second mad? Like, but I just think like... The, it's like, the relationships do don't work out, no? It's, yeah, because I just think like I'm not good enough that they'll, they'll find out that I'm... I'm not good enough or, because I was yeah. adopted. It's extraordinarily yeah. sad. And it. the thing is, the way I looked at it, Neil, is like, if I wasn't good enough for my mother, why am I good enough for someone online or offline? I know. You know, I know I'm following your narrative, absolutely, and I'm yeah. even understanding why you would feel that way, unfortunately. And yeah. so it didn't help then, your state of mind, to be told, yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah. yeah, it's just, as I said, Neil, it's, 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 a, it's been... It, it it continues to be an emotional journey. I, I I feel very alone. Like all the all my fears and anxieties about being abandoned and all the stuff. Don't mind that loneliness. Like I live by myself. Like I put on the, the Billy Big Blogs when I go into work and enjoy and think I'm hilarious and all that. But when I come home, I just lock my door and I, I'm sad because everyone thinks that I'm happy and and I'm not. And it's not. It's not like I'm. I just get sad because I see everyone else get down their lives and I just feel that I can't because of my mental health. I don't, I, I've, no, I've no answer as to where one would find love, you know. A lot of the time yeah. it's just in the moment. You can click yeah. with someone, you can bump into them, it can be yes, it can be yeah, tender, absolutely. absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I just wish yeah. you weren't so hard on yourself. Oh, Neil, I, I've been hard on myself for years. And like anyone who knows me, Romano, they know me. I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, excuse my language, but you know, I, I, I'd never harm anybody. I've never been in trouble in my life, thank God. But it's just, I try too hard. And I suppose when people don't know you and they see you're trying to do hard, they think you're, oh, you're, I don't know, just, I don't know, something. But I, I, I always just wanted to fit in. And I think, you know, when people fit in naturally in situations, it just vibes. But I think when someone like myself just wants to be loved but, and liked and accepted. But you have to, think, you have to start on that, on that, let's call it a new journey, if you like. Do you have, do you have interests or, or passions? Oh yeah, geez. I mean, like, I at the moment, no, I don't, and that's been answered. Okay, well, you need to look at that. 
You need, you know, because yeah. you, you need to be out. You need to be meeting people. You need to be interacting with people. Because yeah. believe me, you're not the only person in the world who's not in a relationship or feels alone or feels there's no future and that they're being left on the shelf and that their friends will yeah. abandon them. Like, we, we live in, an, you know, even though we've got more communication than ever before, we've been, we live in a scarier, more lonely world than ever before. But, you, yeah. you, you know, like, you've got to start somewhere, whether it's clubs yeah. or societies or yeah. pastimes or hobbies or interests, yeah. something. I mean, you're, you're going to laugh, right? But you won't, you won't guess where I am. I'm actually out in Besbra at the moment, right? right? So I usually drive out after night shifts because I usually just come in. I just want to drive in and just park. It's such a beautiful scenery out there anyway. But I feel sometimes you, you just kind of want to go back to the place that you were born. And I was actually talking to a lad there inside Calvin, I think his name is. And I was saying, is there any services for people uh, who are adopted? Because I, I have a feeling I have ADHD because of, I'm nearly 40. I can't get diagnosed. I'd have to go private, which is very expensive. And I, I know I can't afford that. So I was asking him, like, you know, like I should have been diagnosed when I was younger. And that's another thing as well, is because of being an adult and working and all that with my mental health and having ADHD. I know I have it. I just find sometimes that I just, I struggle. But would there be a better place for you to go when you finish work than Besbra? Would 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 you not try and mix up where you go, like a beach, a forest, a park? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Is there any chance you break that cycle of being drawn back there all of the time? I think the cycle, Neil, will only be broken when the day I'll probably be in the ground, I'd say. I don't mean that in a bad way or a dismissive way. I just feel that this will be with me for the rest of my life and I've accepted that. I've accepted probably that I might be lonely for the rest of my life and that I might never find out. And that's not me being dramatic or anything, but I just find these days people don't really invest in people. And as I said, like, I mean, I, I go to work, I work my ass off and as I said, I, you know, I'm on medication for my mental health and I'm very open, I walk about it. Like, some, you know, but as I said, it's just... Sometimes it's like, you know, you can't control the cards that you are given. And as I said, I, I've also two sisters who are also adopted. So we're all adopted. The two girls were adopted first and they got me thrown in with the deal then. Um, they just said, we'll take that big baby there in the corner. So oh, I said, I have two, I have two oh. other sisters. And I it's so sad to have yet another story of a, a son who was adopted at birth, reached out to birth mother and birth mother said, no, this is the third now in the space of 24 yeah. hours. It's... It's sad. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds, it, it's, it's not uncommon. It, but Neil, can I just say one thing as well? Because and I, and I said, there's a lady um, in Bernardo's, um, Judith Manning. She's and the, the ladies in in Bernardo's in Cork, they're incredible. Yeah. I reached out to them. I think it was this maybe a year and a half ago, and they've just been. They do adoption support groups for anyone who's adopted and struggling. They do go on to their website. I, I understand they do, they do fantastic. fantastic work and I will give out some numbers, but I think it would be yeah. a great thing if you could leave that label behind you once and for all at the age of 40 and just stop fixating. I know it's easy for me to say, stop <laughs> stop constantly dwelling on it. You have a family that loved you and reared you. You have yeah. a mother and father that you dote over. You had a, yeah. a, a, a childhood that was, you know, um, a good childhood, well looked after. Yeah. They did all of the right things for you as your parents. I wish you could leave that label behind in the past and just so, move on same, from it, you know? You know? Same, I, just, I just wish I had my friends, my old friends around me again. I wish I had that little community around me again because... You know, as I said, Why don't you pick up the phone to your pals and just go for a pint or see yeah. how they're fixed or just tell them. I yeah. mean, if they were friends, they're still friends if you reach out to them. Yeah, I know. But again, I suppose when you don't really open up about your, your own insight, you know, your, your dark thoughts and all that, Again, it's very hard to, to be around a social beat with people when you're kind of hiding 
your feelings. But you don't have to. Right? You don't have to sit there and talk about that all of the yeah. time. You know, if you think you're yeah. a burden to them, or they'll be saying, "Oh, I can't be listening to this again." Just yeah. try different things. Yeah, but Neil, can I ask you one thing, Darius? Because I know that you're a so you're um, a good at, like you're you're a voice the voice of Cork, as they say. Like, but if there's anyone listening, right? Um, genuinely, right? So the thing is, I I'm I'm linked in with Mallow Primary Healthcare, right? And like I'm on medication for my mental health, right? But like thing is, I, I I want to go on about an ADHD diagnosis, right? And I'm looking online and it's costing thousands, right? I'm wondering, is there any services on Cork that would diagnose someone? Like myself, because it's not like I, I'm looking for a diagnosis. So, so let's say, let's say you get that diagnosis. What difference will mm-hmm. that make to you? It makes no difference. But then the you know when you're told and you're told and you're told by certain psychologists that there's there's nothing wrong with you. So you're a big six foot four fellow. You're well dressed, well shaved, and all that. There's nothing wrong with you. So you have a job, you have a car. That's what they're looking at. But if I, I want to speak to someone about that, because I know that my tendencies, at least then I'll be able to understand this. But there's no point in learning about something if you don't have it. And I just find... Oh, the tools are the... T- are the yeah, the tools exactly. are the skills to, to learn how to deal with it in the moment. Therapy. Yeah, yeah well, I think there are a lot of things. You know, you said there, Neil, I have to move on with my life. At the moment, it's like a good, a, a good tradesperson. If you have your own tools, you can do a good job. At the moment, I have no tools. And I'm trying to get up every morning, like I do, at half six in the morning, I do a 14-hour day, and I come home. And at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm glad to be working. I'm glad to have my own little home and all that. But at the end of the day, I, I, that's all I have. I don't have any more ammunition to control the other okay. stuff with okay. my mental health. So okay. it's something that I, if, you, if there's anyone listening, okay. Okay. If, they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're willing to help out, I'd be, to be life-changing. Okay, but let's see who's listening. We, we can have a lot of success with that and have in the past. Yeah. And let's see who reaches out and we'll chat again, all right? And Alison, thanks so much for, again for your time. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, Carl, take care. Mind yourself. Thanks very much. I Bye-bye. mean that sincerely. Um, listening to Catherine from yesterday's programme, speaking with Neil, what a hero she was. My God, my heart is absolutely breaking listening to the women on air from yesterday. Truly courageous. Uh, finally, breaking the lineage of dysfunctional family traditions. Thank God that's in the past. I'm so proud to have had the golden opportunity to have met uh, Catherine a few years ago uh, where she shared her story horrific story uh, with me. I'll keep a very special place in my heart for her. So proud uh, of the women who spoke yesterday. Thank, for, thank you for giving them a platform to expose what can only be described as tragedies. Um, with regards to uh, babies, um, potentially a lot of them buried in the grounds of Besborough. If I called the Gardaí and said Neil Prendeville had a body in his back garden, there would be an armed unit or armed units and helicopters over his house within an hour. The church is still holding power and nothing will happen until the last nun dies. Uh, With regards to Besborough, who in their right mind would want to live in a property on that land in the first place or buy an apartment there? Not to mention the insensitivity of developers Um, Men and machines will go and build upon those graves. Um, And on the air is absolutely correct that the site regarding the baby burial ground of Besborough should be preserved and a memorial put there at all times. There's a lot more of those texts which I'll come back to and calls as well relating to the ground of Besborough after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. The hurt in the women's voices on air, Neil, had my heart hurting yesterday. Somebody else says, that's a horrible history lesson you gave yesterday morning. Respect to all those who were and still are suffering. The site of Besborough should become a memorial garden and a court order placed on it never to be developed for apartments ever. 
Another one is totally insensitive to think a society would build on grounds where human remains lay or may lay. Can they not have peace and allow the families to have proper closure and a memorial garden to visit? Uh, Morning. With modern technology, it would not take long to detect if these bodies are in that mass grave or not. Thank God I got out alive, says somebody who... Obviously, was born in Besborough. I'm originally from Limerick and I've been living in Carrigaline 10 years now. I grew up knowing Anne, one of your callers yesterday. She was a friend of my mother's. I'm sat here in my kitchen in tears listening. That modern technology, actually, that they're talking about that could be used to detect the bodies in the, in past, perhaps a mass grave or in, you know, they could be, the graves could be all over the, the, the green area down there. Uh, Tom Walsh yesterday was saying that they use that modern technology to locate the body of Thomas Kent, who was buried beneath um, the ground at uh, Collins Barracks. And that technology does exist. Now, um, back to the phone lines we go. Daniel, good morning. Uh, you're talking to me, Neil? Yeah, you can hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, just just stay with me there for a second, because before I talk to you about what you know, I just want to go back to one or two different bits of work that I did yesterday afternoon regarding the different planning hearings, right? This is the planning hearings that were heard by on board Planall, the oral hearings at the time for the, for the original uh, proposed planning development and building of a lot of apartments down in Besborough. That got knocked back at the time. But I was just reading through it, and of course, in evidence we saw um, a map from 1949. It was an ordnance survey map um, showing an area marked as children's burial ground. A big area of ground in Besborough marked as children's burial ground. Uh, this, of course, is disputed, but this is what the map in 1949 showed, the ordnance survey map, children's burial ground. And then there was the, um, the actual... I got the transcripts then yesterday afternoon of the onboard Planal hearing that rejected the original plans for the development, right? And uh, uh, David Dahl, who's a, David Dodd, who's a barrister, speaking on behalf of the Cork survivors and supporters who would be against development, he said some very interesting things. He said, um, he asked the inspectors at the time of the hearing to consider the mindset when these events were happening. Um, th- he was trying to dispel that all of those babies could be buried in the nuns area, which is a tiny little corralled off area. He said, the idea that a nun would be buried together with what they termed fallen women and illegitimate children, many of them who hadn't been baptized, the idea that the nuns would be buried with them was an absolute antithesis, the absolute antithesis of the Catholic Church, as in the nuns nor the church would ever allow a nun to be buried with an unmarried fallen woman or an illegitimate child. Um, another person then was, was talking about it in quite some detail and gave evidence saying that there could be um, radar could be used on the site to see if anything was beneath the ground before um, the housing development was begun. And in fact, a barrister representing the developer, M, which is WMB2 Limited, said that they weren't resistant to having that work done. So the developers have even said, if they want to use radar technology first, that's fine. So I don't know why that doesn't happen, because even the developer had said, we're okay with that. And then just just finally, I did come across some uh, another interesting story um, from around that time, where the Mirror spoke to a former employee of what they call the notorious mother and baby home. And that former employee revealed how infants' bodies were passed out the window for burial during the night. 
That was a man called Pat Finnegan who worked as a caretaker at Besborough until he retired in 1991. And he's backing the survivors, or at least he was at the time, um, who want the ground excavated. He's At the time he gave the interview to the Mirror, he was 87. He says, I was never involved myself with the baby's burial, but a man I worked with was. And he would be given the babies out the window at midnight, wrapped in a sheet, and then he buried them in an area away from the graveyard. He did whatever the nuns told him. He was brainwashed by the Catholic Church. Um, Pat Finnegan said, I don't know how many babies are buried there, but he was there for years and years. A lot of lies have been told about what happened there. The nuns claimed everyone was well looked after and well fed, but that's all lies. And that was from Pat Finnegan, who actually worked down in Besborough as a caretaker uh, for many years. So that's just some of the work that I was doing yesterday. Did you want to pick up on that? Because you were born in Besborough in the 50s. Uh, yes, uh, Neil, I was born there in the 1950s and I was listening to that man earlier who, it was very sad how he was drawn to Besborough, drawn to Besborough, kept going down there. He keeps going back uh, there after work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I remember going down there for the first time and uh, I, I don't know, if you walk down there, I'd say even today, there's a feeling, there's a, a kind of a presence, a kind of a you know what I mean? You know you're in some place that's different and special. And I remember walking down there one day around, away from the nun's graveyard, as you, as you called it. And I, I saw uh, a, a, a vase with dead flowers in it. And I was thinking, this is out in the wooded area. And I'm thinking, why would anyone put a vase out there when nobody could see it? And then I walked on further and I saw daffodils. It was that time of the year, uh, growing near another tree. And I said, you know, daffodils where there's no... And then, Neil, I came across a tree that had been knocked by lightning. It was destroyed by lightning and it fell. And the roots of the tree lifted up what was underneath the ground. And I, I, I couldn't believe what I was looking. I was looking at bones. Uh, and I realized it was, you know, a small person, a child, basically. Uh, and I was shocked. I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I went to the uh, guards uh, and I told them, I said, look, I said, I found what I think are children's bones in an area in Belsburg that is not a graveyard. It's a woods. It's a wooded area. And they took my story and they wrote it down and whatever. But I never heard anything afterwards. And that bothered me. You know, why is it nothing came of it? No explanation of any kind. And then, of course, the tomb baby thing is broke. And then everyone realized, my God, this is what they did with the babies. Up to 900 babies um, in a septic tank in tomb. I even hate saying it again. Yeah. Dumped in a sewer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When was this? When was it? When I went to the guards, was it? You, when you discovered what you thought were baby remains? Well, it would have been the early 90s. In the early uh, 90s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In the mid, mid, early to mid 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not exactly, you know, I, I didn't, I should have wrote it down at the time. I didn't. Okay. There, I, there, I do at remember. the time, now, there wasn't an opportunity for you to, forgive me now for upsetting people saying this, to take a photograph. Yes, that that bothered me. I, 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 number one, I didn't have a camera. 
with me at the time. Uh, number two, I, I didn't, I never thought to do that. Um, you know, it's something I never thought of. Okay. But when I went to the guards, I, I, I said, you know, they have cameras. They, they, they do crime scenes because whatever. And I, I wasn't calling it a crime scene. I was just calling it something unusual, something different. I mean, who would bury a child out in the woods? You Which, know? Okay, forgive me again without wishing to upset people again. Um, sorry if I can keep saying that, but how do you know there were b- baby bones? Um, I, I, I could see, you know, arms, bones, leg bones. Uh, I, I know what a skeleton looked like, you know, and this was a, a little skeleton, if you know what I'm saying. Because you wouldn't be confusing with somebody who might have buried a dog, for instance, or... A fox that no, had died. Yeah. It's definitely not a dog, no, no. You were saying I, what I you saw that. was the skeletal remains of a baby. Yeah, when I put it together with the the vase and the dead flowers and the daffodils and, you know, it, it, it just, it, it was just too much of a coincidence that the tree would lift up the bones from underneath the ground. That a baby uh, would yeah. have been buried next to a tree or beneath a tree, close to the tree, it. near a well, tree. I mean, you know, roots, roots respect for. When the, uh, I understand that when the roots, when the tree came down, the roots came up and it disturbed yeah. the ground beneath. And you're one hundred percent sure that what you saw was the remains of a baby. Yes, uh, I'm saying for certain. Okay, yes. that's fine. You're one hundred percent certain. By the way, by the way, I, I can actually show you where those. But I can still. I know where they are. I can actually produce them. If anyone wants to see them or examine them, I still have... Okay, we'll just talk, I, I can, okay, we'll just talk through the rest of the story. Did you then bring a reporter down? Oh, yes, yes. I brought TV3 down there, yeah, there were, at the time. Uh, and uh, we were kind of run off the property by... Uh, okay, so, so you, you didn't get to bring TV3, with the reporter. That possibly was Paul Byrne, perhaps, or somebody like that. Um, okay, don't know. Okay. So you didn't anyway, you I, didn't get to bring the reporter or the TV crew to the site of the bones. Yes, we. I brought it down near it, and it had been landscaped. Uh, basically, they went through there. Someone went through gardening, whatever, and the whole place was landscaped. Uh, you know, cleaned up. Um, Within the space of how long from when you saw the bones to when it was over, when it was landscaped over? How long did that take? Uh, I I couldn't give it a definitive answer. I, I wouldn't. It wasn't long. Weeks, days. Uh, weeks, perhaps. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. And, and and did you ever go back and ask the guardie in the nineties as to whether they investigated that? No, uh, I kind of I let that go. Um, I had I I I done what I what I uh, what I was you know I should have done, and what more could I do? You know, but like I said. Neil, I can actually produce that evidence if they, even today, if the authorities ask me to produce the evidence, I know where to get it. I have it. Not if the bones were moved? I, I, I took a few of them. Really? Are you serious, Daniel? I'm not, I'm dead serious. Yeah, I, I, there was something in the back of my mind said, Nobody will believe this. So if I just take maybe one, which is what I did, 
and I know where that is. You have so in your possession the bone of a baby. Well, you see, the thing is, it would be very simple for any medical person who has that knowledge to look at it and say, this is human, this is not human. And then I could be a laughing stock or I could be something else. And you have that in so your it's possession. Very simple. You have that bone in your possession for all of I know where to get. I know where to get it. I, I know where it is. It's somewhere safe, is it? Oh, it is, certainly, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it would be very easy to find out if it was, it again, is, yeah. again. Simple, but, yeah. Don't be upset I'm, I'm been, like, when all this thing started, I reported this, you know, when the uh, Modern Babies Forum things uh, and uh, conferences started, and I reported to them. I said, I have the evidence. Will someone please come and look at the evidence? And I told them over and over again at these conferences or whatever, these meetings, you know, there was online meetings or whatever. And I said, I have the evidence. Come and see, or maybe come and, you know, say it isn't. Just look at it. Nobody. Nobody has come to see it. Nobody has asked me for it. Nobody. So you have to say to yourself, why? Why has nobody disproved what I'm saying. Why well, I, well, I, I'm, I'm telling you stories again of you know an employee who said he saw a worker uh, on number of number of occasions being given the bodies of dead babies out the window at midnight, wrapped in a sheet, and he would bury them in an area away from the graveyard. That tallies with what you're saying. Yesterday morning, we heard of newborn babies being taken out of Besbra in little um, boxes, you know, little orange crates, you know, the ones, um, and yeah. also yeah. buried on the land. Um, so that tallies with what you're, with what you're saying. Um, yeah. Others are suggesting, and I was reading this yesterday, that many babies would have been buried ad hoc in different areas of the plot, just all yeah. over the place. That tallies with what you're saying with regards to the remains adjacent to a tree. W- would you would you give up the bones, say, for instance, just off the top well, of your if head? You, uh, if you wanted to see that, if you wanted to get somebody in, on the medical side uh, to arrange a, a meeting uh, with me, and I'll produce the evidence, and I'll show them more or less exactly where I find I, I understand it. that, but I'm wondering, is it a role for Angarda Shikona? <laughs> like I said, Neil, I, I already reported to them, and I already reported it again in the forums that but were you, on, online. Yes, but, you, but you, didn't, you didn't say walk into Angarda stations, like, say, for instance, Anglesey Street or the Bridewell, with the bone and say... This needs to be investigated, considering all of the talk at the moment regarding the remains of babies and babies that died in Besbra. Because I recovered this and tell them the story and say this is the bone. You need to have this tested. I, I never did that, and I, but I, what I said to myself was, you know, I've reported to the guards. Surely it's up to the guards to do something about it. Uh, I, I expected them to approach me. I, I and again, I, I'm going back just a few years ago. All the forums that were held you know, with uh, logical government or whatever. And I'm saying, I have the evidence. Somebody please come and look at the evidence. Would you Would can. you give it to uh, the Cork Survivors and Supporters Alliance, people who, are, women who I spoke to yesterday who were on the air and I are very would, vocal? If, oh my, if they were in, yeah, sure, yeah, whoever. Okay. But okay. I, I need, I, I don't want to lose the custody of it except 
only after it has been proved or disproved. I know that, but it's technically not yours, nor mine, nor anybody's, really. I know that, I know that, I know that. But but what needs to happen is if you have seen what you have seen and you have a bone from the site, I hate saying that, macabre saying that, um, it I would, know, ne- it I, would need I, to be fir- I know I, oh listen I, I know I know but it would need to be uh, forensically tested yes to prove or disprove whether or not yes. they, they could even age the bone I, I know okay and again I'm not I'm saying why okay okay if I go in if I see if I go into the garden station and give it to them right and this is my thinking at the time back in the 1990s or whatever when nothing happened if I go in and give it to them, they'll take it and then it's gone. Do you understand? And yeah. nothing happened. You're slow to surrender it in case it, the whole thing I, is... Until, yes. Want the, the, you, term, you buried understand? again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want the opportunities he's given to people, say, in Desborough, who are who would want to get rid of the evidence in that sense. You know what I mean? They would have I don't believe that the Garda Shikana would do that, though. I don't think they're in the game I, of doing I, again, that. But why didn't they come to see me when I gave them the evidence? It can oh, very I much depend who you would me. meet when you go into a Garda station. And unfortunately, that could have well been the case. You know, I don't, we were talking about it in the early 90s. Certainly we were. I was getting yeah. solicitors' letters from the nuns telling me to shut up talking about it in the early 90s. I remember that. But we can say an awful lot more now because we have an awful lot more evidence to work with than you did in the early 90s. Yeah. But now yours, this is a wealth of information that we have now that we didn't have before, including you say the bone of an innocent baby buried beneath the tree. That would, that would, that could be an absolute game changer with yeah, regards you know, to mean, any development that would be allowed on that plot of land. Yeah. And that is why I'm kind of half afraid to lose the custody of it until it's proved or disproved, written down in public, a record that it is human or it isn't. Very simple to do. Um, okay, I'm just going to take an ad break. Hold on there. I'll come back in a couple of seconds. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red FM. And you can text 0868-104-106. Maureen Considine is a UCC historian who works with the Besborough survivors and their appeal on regarding the site or the proposed, or at least it's proposed, but hasn't got planning permission to build apartments on the site. Uh, I don't know how much of the conversations you heard with Daniel. Maureen, good morning. Good morning. How much of that did you hear or the lads filled you in on some of what Daniel was saying? Um, just snippets, really. Um, I mean, I, I, th- I understand Daniel found some bones. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and he's 100% convinced that they, because I asked him whether or not it could be without sounding disrespectful, a dog or a fox or anything like that. He yeah. says he knows what human bones look like and he saw other all of the, the bones of a skeleton and it was it's the bone of a baby. Okay. Um, well, I, I've spoken to experts who say, it, uh, particularly young babies, bones are very hard to identify, but perhaps it's, it, it's an older um, infant. Um, I would say that it, it, he's contacted parents, hasn't he? Just just one moment. This was the early 90s, so it, it okay. may have been a baby that could have been buried a long, long time ago or only some years before. Okay. Um, we, so, you know, it, yeah. I mean, I think in the case where human bones are found, you, you're 
for your first protocol as guards. But yeah. um, I think your researcher mentioned he had done that and nothing had come of it. Nothing had come of so, it. Um, if he if he'd like to go to the guards again, we'd be happy to accompany him. Um, or um, there's other avenues. There's a UCC in UCC. There's um, a department of archaeology, and they have experts in identifying human remains um, working there. So perhaps that could be a direction that he might like to go in as well. And um, UCC's archaeology department would be able to confirm a lot of things, wouldn't they? Firstly, as to whether it's human and possibly age. Absolutely, and they have experts in bioarchaeology, which is the, the human, the human body um, archaeology, and some of their experts worked in Bosnia and Srebrenica after massacres. So they're they're quite skilled and experienced in in this particular. Do you area. think that this is important now at this point in time, even before confirmation or indeed dismissal of what the bones might be? Do you think this is important enough? to be investigated with regards to the reverence of the site, potentially? I think any remains found at Besborough have to be thoroughly investigated. Uh, um, it's highly important because the Commission investigated for six years and spent uh, tens of millions of euros um, and they weren't able to find any. So I think it's really important. But what did they do to look? Um, well... The way the report is written means that we don't have access to all the information that they had access to, which is really, really difficult um, for, for us to understand. But um, I think when sites aren't in the direct ownership of the state, there can be uh, difficulty accessing the land and doing investigations. I know what I read earlier this morning, that even the developers said to the barrister representing the group, that they had no problem with um, uh, investigation of the land. Now, there are two different ways, excavation or radar. Is either of that happened? Um, I, I, okay, so in terms of independent studies by the right experts, no, it hasn't happened. Hasn't, so it hasn't. Um, yeah. But it, it, there are cases where, like, the non-hired um, an archaeologist who wouldn't be an expert in human remains to do radar and he didn't find anything, and the commission would have done some investigations um, at the time where they were permitted. And I know that the commission visited the site a number of times with archaeologists. And the, the, the concern for us always is that the site has been heavily disturbed throughout the years. So you'll remember Cork Heritage Park, when Bethra opened a heritage park in, in Cork in the early 90s. Yeah. When that was made, a lot of soil was moved and disturbed. And the area around the folly was made into a remembrance garden and a lot of soil was removed and disturbed at that time as well. So when um, burial grounds have been heavily disturbed, you're no longer looking at um, systematic graves. You're now looking at disturbed disturbed remains. I understand. And that's a different type of investigation and that's the challenge of Esbrook. But if this was deemed to be a baby's bone surely this would be uncontestable proof that babies were buried in an ad hoc manner on the land. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, like I mean I, as I said I haven't, I haven't heard the, the guy speaking but if it's a baby's bone it's, it's, no, but it's no, but this is what needs to be, uh, again yeah. this is what needs to be um, proven. So it's I'm assuming yeah. what I'm saying is, if it is proven, this is a game changer, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, but like, we have witnesses who attended the burial of babies in Besborough, so we know they're buried there. 
there was a woman who attended the burial of a baby in the 1970s. Catherine told you about it yesterday. Um, the woman who had the baby had Down syndrome and three other mothers attended the burial along with um, two nuns. On the, um, on the land, not in the on, nuns' graveyard? On the land, not yeah. in the nuns' okay. graveyard. Near it, but not in it. Okay. So, yeah. so at this stage, Daniel... Oh, I'm still here, Neil. Yeah, fair play. So Maureen Considine, who works with the survivors group and is herself a historian, is saying um, two options. Ungarda Shikona, and that they will go with you to Ungarda Shikona with the remains, um, or else um, the archaeology department at UCC. I would go to either place, uh, whatever works. Um, but again, I, I have to say, it has to be done proven yes or no uh, and then when that's done I can any, anybody can have it but until then you, you, can you, I, I wish you could understand where I'm going with this I don't want it to disappear into the you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. we understand mm-hmm. we have we have a pro bono legal team Daniel and we could get them involved to make sure that legally you're covered and that the, the remains are secure. And also, you know, we'd be very careful about who we'd involved. I know that the people in UCC have the highest of integrity, but they're not going to lose it accidentally on purpose to cover things up. I agree you know? with you there. They're not. Yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a great approach to take at this point in time, Daniel, for you to liaise with Maureen and the group. Okay. Some of them... Uh, I, 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 I'll do that. Some uh, of them survivors themselves and some of them whose babies died in Besborough themselves. And they're desperate for any information that could lead to closure on this or indeed stopping, I suppose, the development of apartments on where they feel their babies may be buried. So will we do that? So, Daniel, will I put you in touch with Maureen and then we'll watch this story as it moves forward, okay? Please do. I I just need somebody that will make a record. Okay, okay. Yeah. Neil, can I just say, you know, it's very brave of Daniel and he shouldn't have had to carry this burden for so long on his own. It is, but he went to the Guardi in the early 90s and nothing yeah. was done about it. Mind you, yeah. we, we, we didn't, we weren't talking about it as much in the early 90s and maybe no. it wasn't taken as seriously as, as now. Okay, well, this is an interesting development. Let's watch where this goes and, and wait for the testing to take place. All right. Okay. okay. Thanks for I, I look after all of that. Daniel, don't you worry. I'm going to put you back on hold. Thanks, Maureen. We'll talk soon. And also to Daniel, we'll also talk soon. Back on hold there for Daniel Leds to um, um, be filled in with details regarding Maureen Considine and uh, the organisation who advocates on behalf of everybody involved in the Besborough story. And that would be the uh, Cork Survivors and Supporters Alliance. Back after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. I love these texts when people just, um, you know, give themselves a pat on the back and say, well done. Uh, Today marks me being one year sober, this person says. A man, he says, for a young man who couldn't contemplate dealing with life without drink, it's a brilliant feeling. One year sober today. The people in Fellowship House gave me an excellent start and I'm forever grateful. I'm back in a job I like playing the sport I love at a decent level, and I get great enjoyment out of living in a reasonably normal fashion, all things that were taken away um, in the past because of drinking. 
I haven't been in a Garda station, a courtroom or a mental hospital since getting sober. It's not great every day and takes daily maintenance and vigilance. But on these landmarks, it's nice to reflect and see some peace in me and my family's lives. Can't come on air, but please don't give out my details. Love the show. And I'm doing this to try and help someone else and for them to hear that it is possible. And you know something? Even just sending that text and me reading it out, I guarantee you it will give someone the power to perhaps uh, think about change and maybe the power to change. Uh, Wow, how you've turned your life around from the chaos that you found yourself in. And congratulations on one year sober today and that it will be the same tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. Fair play to you. Uh, on the spontaneity stories from earlier on, I was asking, is there any kind of spontaneous acts that you did in the moment, right? Just like the two girls who decided, you know, we have a spare Monday. Let's fly to the Canaries for the day. So that's what started all this earlier on. We decided to book Malta for next week for three nights with our kids. Flights were less than 50 euro return each. And for that and the accommodation, it's cheaper than going to Killarney for the same three nights. That's a spontaneous act. You thought about January, you said, let's get away. Let's just do it. Flights for 50 euro return each? Don't be talking to me. I didn't go abroad, but I woke up on Saturday morning in June 2022 at 5.45 a.m. Got on the bike at 6.30 a.m. Got home that night and I clocked up 1,460 kilometers. I am assuming it was a motorbike and not a push bike. I went to the Giants Causeway, back to Belfast, out west from Belfast to Sligo, down to Galway, cross country, up the V into Dungarvan, back to Middleton, a great day's ride. And did it spontaneously, waking up at 5.45 on a Saturday morning and just doing it. Uh, I won the final in karaoke on Easter Sunday night and I got a cheque for £1,000. You must be some singer, in fairness to you. I cashed the cheque on the bank holiday before the Grand National at half past three in the afternoon. And I woke up Tuesday morning with 14 cent. That's all I had to my name. You'd swear I won the lottery, buying drink for everyone. Well, they enjoyed it. And I hope you did too. (laughs) A grand on drink. You didn't put any of it on the Grand National, did you? 1,700 euro, Cork to Agar, five-star hotel. Half board plus transfers for a week in Easter. It's four grand for the stay in Killarney. I'm thinking of spontaneously booking the Algarve. (laughs) 1,700 flights and accommodation in the Algarve, four grand in Killarney. Myself and my partner once went to Blarney to get a tin of paint. We carried on driving and ended up in McCroom. We stayed in McCroom. The next day, we bought some new underwear and some picnic paraphernalia and ended up travelling around West Cork and Kerry, just stopping at whatever hotel was available. Beautiful weather and a great spontaneous trip. Four days later, we arrived home. Needless to say, without the tin of paint. (laughs) I love it. Without for a tin of paint and four days later, you made one of the greatest memories in your life that you will have forever. Great story. Thank you. While living in France, my sister, who was living there, was also coming back to Ireland for her goddaughter's communion. Myself and my husband brought her to Orly Airport. And while she was doing her check-in, I spontaneously moved to the other counter, bought a ticket for the same flight and came back to Cork for that weekend. Now that's a spontaneous act. Another time, while living out on the Indian Ocean, another French territory overseas off the coast of Madagascar, 
Myself, my husband and five kids decided to go home to Cork for a special birthday celebration. We left Reunion Island on a Friday night and arrived Saturday morning in Paris. When we got to Cork, we all stayed in the Groves Bed and Breakfast in Blackpool on Saturday night and the surprise party was at Photo Golf Club. We took the flight Sunday morning from Cork back to Paris and flew out Sunday night. 12-hour flight back to Reunion Island for work on Monday morning. All of that are incredible acts of spontaneity. Keep those coming, those spontaneous acts. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. I hope Tom could hold on just one second, just casting back to our conver- my conversation with Cahill that you guys got to hear, and he's clearly struggling, uh, certainly is uh, struggling uh, with his mental health and also his beginning, his, his adoption. Listening to Cahill, he reminds me of my husband with the drive to be the best and the gratitude of being adopted please give out our warmest wishes to him and I hope he can source some counselling and support to understand that he is a wonderful man. Well kind words like that will make a huge difference to him. Listening to that guy, it's sad to hear him, he needs to give himself a break, get out on the social scene, life is just too short Hi I'm Damien, I myself was adopted, listening to that man from Mallow his story is incredible, if he ever wants to meet for a chat, I can relate to his story massively and I believe we could help each other, says Damien. Let me know, Cahill, if you'd like Damien's mobile number. I have something in common with your last caller. It's not easy to be a big man. What people see in your face means nothing because whatever is going on behind is the real stuff and it's hard to deal with. Hi, guys. I went through the same situation as Cahill. I can help him by chatting. As I got through all of this, give him my number if he wants to chat. A counsellor can help, but it's totally different as I've been there. Poor guy, he's broken hearted, so he needs someone who's been there to help him. So again, Cahill, if you want Patrick's mobile, I'll give you that. And there are more like that, which I'll come back to uh, throughout the morning. Lots of different texts on different topics, so keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Tom, good morning. Morning. Picking up on um, the conversations over the last couple of days, one particular caller said that with regards to children who were given up for adoption and then their mothers wouldn't reconnect with them in later life, he made the point we didn't give up our parent or parents, they gave up they gave up on us. You you wanted to pick up on that? Well, I, uh, I kind of took exception, I took exception to that because for the simple reason um, our parents died when we were very young and um, we were looked after by two aunts. No, they didn't give us up, they wouldn't give us up. They there was one day a knock at our door on St. Mary's Chalice on Gould Street and standing outside the door was the parish priest, of course, a sergeant of the girls and I assume what was a civil servant. And it is in the 50s, isn't it? It would have been, and uh, it would have been the mid-50s. Was all, uh, actually, it would be after 1956. So a guard, a, a, guard a priest, and a civil servant. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. Our mother died in 19, uh, 1956, in April of 1956. So it would be that year, sometime that year, that this delegation called to the door. And um, their, their, their chore was to take those of us under 16 and put us into either in the industrial school in the boys' case and convents in the girls. So they could have been like Greenmount or Upton or further afield. It would have been Greenmount for the boys. No doubt about that. Um, 
we lived very close to the industrial school in Greymount. And we actually we actually had a first cousin who was in there. And where would the girls have gone? Pardon? Where would the, the girls? girls the, the girls would probably have gone into DM Land, right, into Cove or something like that, you know. And um, seven of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Just one second. Now. And so, uh, if um, I if I'm following this, your dad actually died young, and then a few short years later, your mam died. Um, our, our father died in nineteen fifty three to fifteen to probably nineteen fifteen fifty three when our twins our twins twins and sisters were ten days old. Right. Uh, and our mother died, as I said, on the twenty second of April nineteen fifty six. So when your mam died in nineteen fifty six, who was in the home to rear the children? An aunt who had been uh, a very, in a very similar position herself. She had three children taken off her by the same type of uh, Method. They arrive at the door and just take the children. I took our children, yes. No. Were over 16, so my father took her and the two children over 16 into, into our house. So nobody had any say in the matter if the parish priest and the guard arrived. You see, the children were just taken. There would have been, we would have been, yes. Like that, the child catcher. With my, with my cousins. My first cousins. They were just taken. The two girls were sent to sent to Cove to a convent in Cove, and Michael, the boy, was sent to the industrial school in Greymont. And was that common? It was quite common. It happened. Uh, it happened quite often. It happened quite often. Were they they were doing it on the assumption that it was best for the care of the children, where nobody would rear them. Their thoughts were. Well, I mean. How, no, I, I have to disagree entirely with you there. But no, don't disagree with me. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what they would have said. Oh, that's what, oh, that's what they would have said. That's what they would have said. What they were looking for, of course, like, was father for the for the paedophiles and, um, you know, for uh, workers, slaves, slaves for the land, like, is what they were looking for. But, um... My aunt, yeah, yeah. My, my aunt, Christina, Chrissy, defied him, and she was lucky that another aunt who was far more able, Angela, who was also involved in the rearing of us, came on the scene, and she led the rear act to these three guys and told them, oh, yeah, you're not having these kids, go oh, yeah, we look after them. Yeah, yeah. Which they did. Yeah, and they, well, they, I mean, they left and never came back to try and do it again. Well, they didn't know. They, they they didn't come back again. Like, and we were reared very successfully by these two marvelous ladies, and um, we all turned out very well. There's not many of us left now, but we all turned out very well, and we all done very well for ourselves in our lives. When you um, talk about the sexual abuse and the exploitation of children, and it did happen, and we know that it happened, and we know that we have documentary evidence to say that, and I've spoken to many who've went through it, um, and it was absolutely horrific abuse. Um, you say that when they called to the door, they were doing that with that in mind. Do you really believe that the priest who was calling, or indeed, more importantly, that any member of the Garda Shikana would actively engage in that kind of behaviour? No, well, knowingly see, act in, well, in that way? No, you see, the Garda the the and the civil service would have been controlled by the church anywhere. They would have done the church's bit. No, I mean, whatever the church said was law here in this country. So if the parish priest said, 
we need to take these children into court, in, in, into care. No problem, they'll send the sergeant of the guards up to do that. They would, or there would be a court order, hence the appearance of the Garda Shikana. Which would be quite easily got, of course, right? Well, why why would you take offence, though, to somebody saying that he tried to reconnect with his mother? Three different men now in the past 24 hours have told me that in all well, three uh, cases the mother said no. Yeah, well, you have to take two, uh, a couple of things into consideration. Boy, I don't take offence for it. I kind of... It just struck me wrong because adults did not give us up. They would not give us up. And they weren't even our birth mothers. They would not give us up. They refused to give us up. Okay, so if they were rejected, you must take into consideration that these were young girls more likely from the country, 16 or 17 years of age when they had a child, which was a terrible time, maybe even 14 years of age. So life, life changed these children, like kind of like, I mean, you, you had children having children. But in the, yes, but later in life, with hindsight and maturity, would they not look at it differently when a son or a daughter wanted to connect with them? I don't know. I, 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 can't, I, I can't really answer that. Okay. Look, what I can tell you is that my elder sister, Claudine Osseldo, had four adopted children. My younger sister, Claudine Osseldo, had three adopted children. And the only mother that they knew, and as far as I'm aware, the only mother that they ever attempted to have any relationship with were my two sisters. I know, I know. Oh, I understand, and, and, and wonderful families reared children who were given over to their care. But don't take offence to somebody who has a feeling, you know, or an emotion, or feels the way he feels, because it's his, it's exclusively how he feels, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm not, taking, I, I'm not taking exception to it, as I say. Listen, I believe that I, I, I believe that there was something, maybe what figured out me, there was something about some super program, Fair City or something like that, that some line came from Fair City. Maybe yeah. I picked up No, you're right, it did start from the storyline in Fair City, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and like, I, I that, that, like, I mean, that's a soap opera. No, it's just you said, I find Liam's line that they gave us up, we didn't give them up as very offensive. Don't don't feel that way. If somebody feels like that, they need to be able to say it because it's their emotion. That, 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 I'm not lecturing you, but I'm just, you know, just saying we need to be able to listen to other people without feeling, okay, that's offensive. You know how we label everything? Oh, yeah, but like if you come to a, if you come from where I come from, an awful family, like, do you get something triggers throughout your life, like, and like that's me. I know. I know. Um, still a memory with your sorrow, sorrow, yeah, and yeah. emotion with your like, and like, um, I wouldn't be offended by it. Yeah, okay, good man, good man, yeah. good man. Cheers, Tom. Look after yourself. Okay. You certainly, you okay. certainly okay. loved your aunts as much as you loved your mum and your dad. Thanks for that. Back after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. One, uh, we'll just come back to calls in a couple of seconds, just one or two stories that you've been sharing with me. Listening with interest to your discussions this morning, I'm originally from Cork. My mother and father had me out of wedlock in the late 1950s. I was born in the UK, then sent to St. Anne's Adoption Society in Cork. Uh, I was adopted by a great family along with several other siblings. 
I searched for and found my mother living in Cork about 30 years ago. I met her and she told me she later married my father and went on to have three other sons. My father wasn't yet ready to meet me at that stage and unfortunately died a couple of years later before I ever got to meet him. I lost touch with my mother for a few years and moved to Asia and she left the old family home. It was pre the internet and pre email and I tried again about 10 years ago and she now had a new partner and didn't want to know me. Last year I emailed her letting her know I would be visiting Ireland and letting her know I would like to meet her if she had changed her mind. Wow, the next thing I know, she gets an ex-UK senior policeman to warn me by text and I got a solicitor and got, also got a solicitor to send me a solicitor's letter telling me to back off. I replied, replied to the solicitor's letter telling her to tell her client that she would not be hearing from me again along with the synopsis of how hurt I was. My only hope now is that I can contact my brothers before it's too late. Isn't that heartbreaking? Yet another story of a parent who didn't want to know. And I'm not saying that in any critical way. I'm just alarmed at the amount of them. Um, I think what happened with those poor misfortunes who found themselves pregnant and sent their little baby away uh, was that they then moved on with their lives and met someone new and settled down with them. They probably never told their partner about the baby that they'd given away. That must be the main reason, that they don't want the past coming back. It may open a can of worms, you see. Um, it must be the worst thing in the world, Neil, for a mother to have to give up her little baby. I think of that woman all the time that gave me her baby, and I'm sure she is hurting says Marie in Clon, who adopted a baby herself. And one final one for now. My natural brother was put into foster family a week after he was born in 1988. I thought I was the only child until 1999 when a social worker told me I had three siblings, one in foster care, one adopted and one deceased. My brother, who was initially fostered, was later adopted. In relation to him, the Southern Health Board only gave me a first name, while I only knew he was born in 1988, it was when I started working with a haulage company in 2016 that I found out more through a gentleman who knew my mother and also knew my background story. He gave me a rough date of birth down to the month of the year. I registered with the adoption authorities in 2016 to try and find him. And in June 2017, I was contacted to say my brother had come forward. It transpired that we were near each other all our lives. I grew up in Farinree, he grew up in Ballyvalan. Sadly for both of us, things didn't work out, but we are a near mirror image of one another. He has his life and I have mine. I bear no ill will towards him, but sadly, we just weren't compatible. I'm Ken. I won't give out my birth brother's name. I'd rather not come on air. My message to those looking for their loved one is simple. Never give up. I don't regret going looking for my brother. It's just a pity how things did not work out. And one final one. It works throughout the whole family. I found out at 13 that I had a half-sister. And being naive, I didn't really care to know. She was lovely and all, but we grew apart throughout the years as I was too young. She was about 18 at the time. We just couldn't click. About two years ago, I reached out eventually to try and meet her for a coffee. In fairness, she did. But I could just tell she didn't want anything to do with me. I've never heard from her since. I guess it just doesn't work out for everyone. And those by text to 0868104106. Una is on uh, line one. Una, good morning. Good morning. You talk of Ireland's history being very complicated and if we don't examine the past, we are doomed to repeat it. They're interesting words. 
Yeah, we do have a very complicated past and, you know, the past, we can leave it behind, but we can't always move away from it and we can hear the pain and the voices of the people yesterday and today, you know, that have suffered through our history and they're, they're also the, the voices of the ghosts of the pain of the people from the past, you know, that have gone already, but they're still, the pain is, is enduring through these people. Um, you know, Irish people had nothing uh, in the past. We forget that. We were poor, impoverished people that were ruled over uh, and thought little of by the people that ruled over us. Now, I'm not saying we should all take up arms or anything like that. I'm just painting a picture. Uh, the only thing that... And when I say well, nothing... There were rich people. There were people in power. There were those people who were rich and powerful who made the decisions for and on behalf of the poor. Well, yes. Yes. But the, you know, we we know about those, but the ordinary people really had nothing and yeah. were trying to stay alive. I mean, the, the bottom line is that, you know, in the past and the not-so-distant past, the only people that the, the, we could turn to was to priests because they were the only ones that were educated. We had no rights under law. We had no land rights. We lost our land, our language, and eventually they took our children. So the priests were the only people that were educated. And if you were in front of the courts, you turned to the priest. You know, the, the religious thing came in then when Protestantism was being forced on the people. The priests and the people stood together. And they were the only ones that were educated. Now, I'm not excusing religious or anything like that, but I'm saying eventually the, the priests and the religious became collaborators with the, the, the rulers. And the people, in gratitude, sent their children in the early 20th century in their droves into these religious institutions as a form of twisted gratitude, probably, for what they had done for the people. What do you past. mean by sent them in? You mean as priests and nuns or what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they were sent in. I know families where two and three daughters were made to go in to be nuns and priests were made to go in. And those girls never had any actual natural wish to be a nun. There was no. no They had no calling, as we used to say. No, and most of the priests had no calling either. They were, it was a respectability thing. If you had a priest or a nun in the family, you know, that was a, a, a fall over from the past. Well, these must be educated. These must be well-to-do people. You know, and they often paid for their children to be taken into these places. A symbol. And they had no... A symbol of yeah, uh, importance. Of importance. And you couldn't come out because if you came out, your family would be shamed and you'd be rejected. And there was a lot of them came out and committed suicide. You know, you just couldn't come out. So they were in there, in these institutions that were paid for by the government, who were also collaborators with the, the, the powers that be, the oppressive powers that, that left our country 100 years ago. Uh, and they, they, they were in there and they, they were, it, it became a business for babies and for mothers and, and that type of thing. You and know? so and when we had cruel nuns then, uh, was it because they just hated what they had been made and forced yes. to do? Okay. Yes, and they couldn't come out because that was the biggest shame on the family. They would, they'd be, they'd, no way would they be accepted. So you had this cycle of dysfunction going on in the country as a result of the past where people had nothing. And this is where they, 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 they turned to these people. And eventually, as any dysfunctional situation, it, it turned on the people. Now, when you have, you know, the, this type of thing, 
you you have to be able to recognise it for what it is. It's not something that happened in the 50s. It's something that was bred hundreds of years ago when the people had nothing and nobody to turn to. Now, it ruined our country and it continues to ruin our country. And the pain of these people over the past yesterday and today, that is a pain from the past, you know? Mm, now, it is. I could say a lot more on it, but I think it's disgusting and despicable now for the government to be selling off what these people were told was their, their homes. They were put into these institutions. That was their home. They were put into mother and baby homes. What should be done, a trust fund should be set up for these people in relation to the, these these lands and properties. And the government should hand it over to these people, trust fund set up. Anything that's decided about whether it's to be sold or whether to be kept should be made by the people that were in these institutions or their children that were born there. Mm. And any profits, if, if, you're, if it comes down to the, the, the question of dirty money and that kind of thing, they should be getting the profits from these buildings and these apartment blocks if they decide they want as a trust fund to mm. sell it. Not the not the the, the builders of okay. the vulture fund. Uh, what the sta- and at what stage then um, do we leave the past in the past? Well, I mean, I think that we can actually have to build. We have to build some kind of a reconciliation picture. I mean, in schools, we're taught. We were taught anyway about laws, the Breton law, the poor laws. The, the land league, all that type of thing. That has to change. We have to be able to build some kind of a, 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 a cohesive picture of our past and what happened from the time that we were living under rule, the conditions people were living in has to be told why this happened, how it happened, and the results that we see in society today. Another thing is we had fear of annihilation as a people, you know, constantly, and that culminated in the famine. Mm. Uh, we still have a fear of annihilation. We, we're, we're terrified of foreigners coming in and taking over. <laughs> and that's not, that's in our psyche, you know. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to bring all these things together and, you know, the, the voices of the people that are talking. The but there's some people days. that don't have those kind of fears, but they would be maybe rational in their thinking that that's fine, people coming here, if there are places for them to live um, um, and if if we can be safe with them amongst us, those who are coming without documentation, coming in under international protection orders. And sadly, for those that are coming who now are being told, sorry, now you can come into the country pending an investigation, but you must live on the streets. Sure, that's bizarre logic, isn't it? Well, uh, look, that's a different story. I mean, you no, know, you said we have a fear out. of coming in, people coming into the country. Um, that That would almost be interpreted as that people are, that everybody who has that kind of fear is racist where some of them are just realists and not racist as such well you see the the thing is is that you know we're still as a people trying to get on our feet we still can't even face our own past we still can't face the the horrors of the civil war we still can't face you know celeb- who do we celebrate who do we not celebrate and you know we have a homeless crisis we have a health crisis and now we have these people, again, being forced on us, you know. Now, the thing about it is that if we want to help people from war into our countries, that's fine. But we all know there's scammers out there. Mm. You know, the dogs in the street know that. Mm. If you tear your document up in an airplane 
that's a crime in itself before you even come to a country. There was a chap yesterday being interviewed. He, he came from England the other day. Mm. He was walking around the streets and mm. with his bags. And he came from England because he heard the economy was improving. You know, Irish people are on high alert because of our past with all this kind of thing. Mm. And we need our governments to be able to stand beside us now and not collaborate with, you know, Europe, so to speak, when it comes to these kind of things like they did in the past with with the British but, regime. Yeah, but that's what I was talking about this exactly. morning. But yet we have um, politicians in the door, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Labour, the Greens, all of them. And all they're doing is bickering with each other about things that, OK... It's accountability and transparency is important, um, but now they're bickering about who didn't pay their hotel bill and who didn't pay to have posters put up or who was paid to put up your posters. And this country's in crisis and chaos. They're they're not working. This is all they're doing is bickering. Well, there is no depth in our politicians, and that's about the depth that 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 you see at the moment. That's between them. Their their eyes are set on the prize, and that's it. They don't care, and we hear that day after day on the radio from people. This all has been talked you know, about now, and people want them to get on with the job that they're hired and paid handsomely to do. But you're there. What they're interested in is making money. It's the same as the whole thing with places like Besborough and the institutions that you know they they had children captured, and they want to make money. You know. That's all they're interested in. They're not interested in... Uh, and they're even bickering about money. Hundreds of pounds, you know, that's what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when are people going to wise up and realise they don't actually care? We have the whole CAMS situation there with the children again. It's, it's history repeating itself. Children aren't cared about in this country. Correct. It's, there's it's, that. There's security the in our hospitals. There's the HSC crisis. There's the crisis involving uh, housing. Um, there's a mass... Um, exodus of the country from young people who just can't hack it here and just see no future here and they're arguing about booking Pounds, conference rooms and, and posters and I, I but mean that's the level they think at you know that's, that's what you're dealing with that's the level you see I don't vote people in to power because I think they're more intelligent than me I would at least expect them to have just an equal level coming up to an equal level of intelligence mm. and they're not portraying that Mm. They're portraying total and utter disregard, bumbling around the place. Now it's coming down to bickering about a couple of hundred euros. Mm. And, the, you know, this is all, this is the level they operate at. Mm. They're showing themselves up for what they are. Totally. It's mortifying. Thanks, you know? Una. Thanks so much. Okay. Appreciate you taking the call. Okay, I just heard that Sinn Féin underdeclared their election spending in the same year, 2016, as the Pascal Donoghue debacle uh, that they looked to hold another Dáil member accountable for. They have ridiculed him for days on end. He's been verbally bashed by Mary Lou and Pierce Doherty, demanding his head. They made a statement then advising that they regret the underdeclaration of their own and apologise for the ev- for the error. I wonder, will they in Sinn Féin now hold themselves accountable to the same standards that they demanded of a Fine Gael TD? I don't think so. Will they go into the doll and give a full explanation? I don't think so. What an embarrassment it must be for Pierce Doherty, the finance spokesman for Sinn Féin, demanding answers and resignations of others when their own house was not in order. Standards, my arse, just goes to show you people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Watch the questions die off now by Sinn Féin against Pascal O'Donoghue in the Dáil. Uh, was it an own goal or what? What will also be interesting is the rest of the opposition will hold to look Sinn Féin responsible to the same standards and keep demanding explanations from them. It is just mad 
what a circus the doll has turned into. It's been a circus for a long time. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Oh, I saw an amazing thing that uh, Cork Bio did earlier. Looking at, because we were talking about um, Argos pulling out there recently. Um, actually, there's an alarming amount of British companies that are under threat here. And uh, I was reading some of this morning that uh, a lot more could well go because of the chaos that has now ensued after Brexit for a lot of different reasons. Of course... High rents in Cork hasn't helped matters either. But they came up with 40 different spots around Cork that have closed since the pandemic. And it's a rather extensive list. I hope to get an opportunity to read it out. Um, It's very, very sad, very alarming. A lot of them were Cork companies, 40 in total, that have closed around Cork since the pandemic began. But I just come back to all the topics in the morning, but I just want to touch on this because we've been talking about people now at this stage who are coming into the country under international protection orders. They would be single men or single women or couples, right? Where they have nowhere to stay and nowhere to live. We also have run out of places for Ukrainian refugees and that's going to get worse now because hotels are going to start taking back their hotel properties for the tourist season. So it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. But do you remember the talk about modular homes being being built? And I do know of modular homes that were being proposed to be built down in Mahan. But another area apparently could well be could well be Mahan, uh, Mallow. Jason, good morning. Hi, hello. Good. I've received two different emails from people in, in Mallow. I think one of them may well be connected to your good self or you might well know them. What's going on there, diggers in a field across some people's housing estates? Can you tell me? Yeah. Well, yesterday morning, they broke in the ditch, laid stone, put in a port cabin for security, and no consultation with the residents, no leaflet trap, no word of it. Just all talking like a nil to be well, honest. Where's the site, me. though? Where is the actual site? Up at Keel, next to the aircon building. And is it, are there, and, and do, and are there houses, a lot of chimney pots in that area? Yeah, Jesus is three or four estates, two biggest schools just down the road from us. So, so out like, of nowhere, with no forward knowledge or warning or information to householders, yeah. the diggers yeah, came in. Arrived on. But so what's funny, Neil, right? They were first to announce the sports complex, I mean, 10 metres across from where they are two weeks ago. Alright? And all the councillors had it on their Facebook, on the Mallow Star, on the Evening Echo, all this. And not one word about this right here. Not one word. So, I'm, from my own opinion, I think they announced the sports complex, said nothing about it, and then started this. And thought, oh, well, the people of Mallow will think it's just for the site across the road. Was there any, would, would any planning permission have to go up on that no. site? Okay. See, this is it. Now, one part, not, the council land, they can rush through everything. They don't have, from from what we've been told, they, they don't have to do anything because it's for Ukrainian refugees. Right. If it's deemed for Ukrainian refugees. Okay. How quickly will they go up, do you think, those modular homes? Six weeks, I think. How, many, how many of them? Forty. Forty. But like, our, our, our gripe, Neil, is not one of them were offered to the community. We only want these for our community. Yeah. Then it's for our community. Not, not, we're not against Ukrainian refugees. If they're being put in there, fair enough. Show us the list of uh, women and children that are being put in there. As you just said there a minute ago, all them men above in City West, down Hotel County, they have somewhere to go, need to be gone. Where, where's profit from? A little mild, mild village in Narcock. 
And is that your fear that you could have undocumented people uh, living in? That sta- is everyone's fear here, Neil. Yeah. They're, they're, okay, I want to hear what your fear. Meters. I want to hear what your fears are. Because you're talking about 40 in Mallow and I hear tell 64 modular homes that would take 250 people in Mahan. Oh, and there was three sites in Mallow they were looking at. They picked this site. So, like, at the end of the day, we're not racist. It's not about who's been put in there. It's about... That they they try to sneak it in and no consultation they want residents or anyone else. But like what that. about your local councillors? Um, are they, they in the are, loop? They definitely, they definitely is silent. The silence is definitely from them. One of them posted in Facebook yesterday, practically calling us a racist, Gerard Murphy. You go look at his Facebook page. What did he? Because so, I know that. Who was it here? Was it Julie? Says, I rang Garrod Murphy, Fianna Fáil. He told me the same. And when I asked if he was in favour of the plans, he said yes, that the refugees must be housed. And when I asked him what type of housing would be, he said he didn't know. He's in favour of something he knows nothing about, she says to me. But that's it. He's in favour of something not knowing nothing about. So did but they yes, know? Did your, local, did your local they TV... Knew, they all knew email because they were here in November to test the ground. They all knew about that council office. Every single one of them knew. And that one of them came to the residents to say, well, here, lads, this is our proposal here for that site up there. And um, what do you think? And we might offer half of them to the community and the other half are going to ref- Ukrainian refugees. Not, there was none of that. None of it. There will be none so given what, to people on housing there, lists. There won't, be, there won't be none given. But that's not the point. As we said, it's not about who's getting them. It's about how the council go about these things and not even offer them to the, the own community, people who need them. There are people in this community that need, would be ideal for one of them modular houses. Correct. I'm not disputing that, but I did see another correspondence that I got from people in Mallow that they said the minute the digging starts in that field for modular homes for refugees, our homes will depreciate in value. No, that's another concern. There's a man here, he just lives two couple of metres away from the site. He paid off his mortgage two weeks ago. I know he has to deal with this. Okay, just quickly, and I'll pick it up again in the morning. Garrod Murphy from Fianna Fáil. Garrod, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are did, you doing? Did you, did you know about this plan? Were you in the loop? No. As councillors, we were told that the site was being considered, but nothing more. We certainly weren't told that any sort of works would be starting this week. Really, the Oh, only no, you mightn't have been were... told when the work would start, but were you told that the site would be for modular homes for refugees? Yes, we were told it was okay. being considered, but we weren't told it had been selected for... Okay. Is there an obligation on you and the other councillors then to tell the residents of the area out of courtesy? I didn't, I didn't keep it a secret if anyone called me about it. I told them that that's what we had been told. But there was um, no... Like, this is my point. He's saying he didn't keep a secret. What, what, not once was it put in the Manor Star or on, on any other Facebook pages or anything else. Not once did they knock on the door. There was nothing to put in the Malastar. We had only been told it was being considered. We hadn't been told there was any... All right, fair enough. If it's being considered, that's fair enough. But why didn't, you say, why didn't you say that to the residents up here, that, that the site up in Karakil is being considered for modular homes for Ukrainian refugees that you're deeming it? Let him answer the question. Okay. I had some phone calls from residents, and I told them whenever I had phone calls what I had been told. I should probably say, Neil, there's some information which has just come to my attention. Yeah. I spent this morning on the phone trying to get more information on yeah. this. I've been told that these works are site investigation works. They're not actual works to build anything right now. And I've also been told that 
if uh, I was literally talking to the OPW about 20 minutes ago on it, that's that's the first I've been able to get information on. We have a meeting on Friday. So what are they doing? There's diggers in there digging. I mean, they're, they're them pouring concrete. Investigation works to see the quality of the soil. Okay, but that that's would that would be interpreters that if the soil is okay, that they'll build. It's just a, it's just about the residents are disappointed that they just see excavators and diggers and nobody yeah, and all too I often it's all cloak and dagger things like that we saw the same up in Dublin with coaches arriving in the middle of the night do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, look Neil I shared a disappointment um, I said it in my post last night on Facebook um, which is what I presume has prompted people to be uh, ringing and texting in about um, myself you know I'm disappointed that the residents in the adjacent states weren't told like it's, you know, it's important to treat people with respect and even a leaflet drop a few days before and would have let people know that you know there was going to be construction next but they knew they knew about this in November because there was people up here on the site in November it's simple as that the residents seen them yeah but you knew about it in November because he can't come because he don't don't have an answer somebody says to me we're getting nowhere with our politicians they're saying we're being told email our questions and they'll be back to us email yeah we got got an email address there for let me finish let me finish the text let me finish Cisco are in now with huge machinery it went from a field on Monday morning to have a temporary road put in by Tuesday evening don't let people kid you this is no small operation how come no public rep knows nothing about it yeah, how oh, lucky that no, not one of them councillors above in that council know nothing about it, but yet OPW own this land up here. And what's the big concern of residents again? Safety, is it? Is that what? It's safety, Neil, because they're saying they're deeming these for Ukrainian refugees. As we say, we don't mind that. If they can come up here and say, well, there's Ukrainian women and children need these modular houses, and we might give a portion of them to the local community, that's fair, Neil. We're not racist, we're not giving out about it. Our fear is that them men in City West or in Hotel Clarny, as you said, them contracts are up. Where are them men going to go? How would you respond to that briefly, girl? because I'm out of time? That seems like a reasonable fear. I might actually fear. respond with another question. Do you, does anyone you know has, have they ever immigrated, Jason? Like, ha, yeah. are, do, do, they, do any, did you ever immigrate? Well, you, 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 no, were they not immigrated to a place where were they were vetted? Were they signs? vetted? I'm sorry, well, Jason. Well, they're not trying to say no blacks, no Irish or no women. Yeah, and do you think that's the approach we should be taking here? Because I certainly don't. Um, that's, that's ah, yeah, but I don't think any of those Irish that Im- I don't think any of those that Irish had Irish went abroad had a house built for them, though. Do you know what I mean? They didn't. They had nothing given to them. You know what I'm saying, Garod? I mean, they had to kind of paddle their own canoes. So, um, if, if it's if it's undocumented, we don't know. Will there be undocumented international protection young men living in Mallow? That's yeah. what they want to know. I, I have to be honest. Please. Look. I mean, I have sympathy, obviously, for people who have diggers come in next to them and they don't know what's going on. That goes without saying. I think that it was handled very badly by the people. They, they should have done a leaflet okay. drop. That's all. But why haven't the councillors come okay. out and said anything? There are how many councillors in the town? I'll, I'll pick it up in yet. the morning. I guarantee you that, Jason, but I'm out of time for now. So thank you to Jason Ryan and to Garod Murphy. If you want to get involved in the conversation, text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. I'm over time. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.